Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grayson. As always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing? I'm actually not tired today. Which well, good for you. I, how's, I, how's that? I guess a, a couple weeks off of, you know, tournaments, not, you know, grinding a ton of magic. I've taken it pretty easy the last couple weeks. Um, you know, I took the vacation to Salt Lake City, had Thanksgiving weekend, haven't really done a whole lot. Had my, my birthday was, what, only five days ago? Um, yeah, happy, happy birthday, by the thank way. Thank you. Uh, so it's been a pretty uh, a pretty relaxing couple weeks, which has been nice. Um, so, yeah, get to... I, I, I don't know if I'm sleeping anymore as a result of it, but just a lot less stress. I think, uh, you that know... has a lot to do with it. Ha- had I qualified for the PC, I think I would have been exhausted right about now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not just the amount of sleep you get, it's like the quality yeah sleep and like i think you're probably like sleeping deeper and stuff so yeah the the so it's been a it's it's been nice and it's going to continue to be that way for what three more weeks we got it's a in three weeks it'll be new year's eve and that's when i'll be coming back to roanoke i'm, I'm going home for the holidays as i always do um you know I, I went to school out in southern california and for four years i never went home for thanksgiving because it's only a weekend you know break when you're in college and right. I didn't want to fly across the country twice when I was going to do it again only a couple weeks later. Uh, and, you know, with my family having uh, the, the Christmas tree farm when I was a kid, Christmas has always been a much, much bigger deal than Thanksgiving. So I've sort of carried that over since I moved to Roanoke. I, I, I'll i usually make it home at one point during the year if there's a tournament up in the Northeast. Like I went to Grand Prix Hartford when that happened a couple years ago and went home for like a weekend. Um, and... Uh, now uh and then i'll I'll go home for uh the holidays usually things are slow for magic we'll have that week off from versus live so i'm going to be home for i think 10 days which uh my mom is very excited about yeah i was gonna say i'd be pretty excited too you know he probably hasn't, hasn't seen you what since like the holidays of last year um there was a worcester tournament where i was home but that was actually shortly that was in january that was the one i, I top forward with is it phoenix so it's been oh, almost a year. a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I made it home at one other point during the year. There was um, there was the other Worcester tournament, right? The one I did. Did I lose the finals of that Worcester tournament? Was that the one I lost to? Uh, yeah, that was Worcester. I lost to uh, Aaron. So I, I top eight at both Worcester Opens this year. I think that was later in the year, though. I yeah. Think, right? So, I, but I think I still went home. I think every basically every Worcester tournament, like I will go to the tournament. I'm only home really for a day, but my mom gets to see me, which is the important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after the tournament on Sunday, instead of going straight home, I'll go home for the night uh, because I'm only, uh, you know, an hour, a little over an hour from the Worcester site in Connecticut. And then I'll train home on Monday and like write my article on the train um, because it takes a, a solid, you know, 10 hours or something. Um, so I think I've, I've been home twice, but only for, you know, Sunday night each time. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll be I'll be home for a nice week and a half. So it's gonna be a, a pretty slow month. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. I'm actually gonna have a pretty busy month myself. Uh, like you know, I've uh, as we'll say, I'm prepared to be full time with my new job by the end of the month. That's that's the goal. So yeah. we'll see. You, you, you passed know, your the... your final exam for the licensing, right? Right. Congratulations. Yeah, on I that. passed my. Thank you very much. So, like, there's this interesting going on. They they talked about it today. Uh, I was talking to my secretary today, and Ooh, you have a secretary. Saying, I do, and Oof. so um, does Natalie have I'm anything assuming, to be worried about? 
Uh, come on. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I believe I'm going to get my own office, too, and I have, like, my own uh, conference room and stuff, too, so I'm, like, pretty excited about this. Ooh. Um, yeah. Moving I've never, on up. I've never had a... I've never had a full-on office. Like, I have one in my, in my like, my home, you know, like, where I'm recording in this right now. I actually have, like, a, a large bedroom that is just an office yeah. or whatever. Like, do you, know, do you have enough here. suits for this job? Or are you going to have to, like, go to the men's warehouse? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'll have to figure it out. So, uh, that, that's a thing, actually. I, I literally, uh, so I booked my first, uh, like, first meeting for next week with somebody, like, my first client. And I was, like, kind of excited about it. And I, and I messaged Natalie, and I was like, we need to do some shopping this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not There allowed- are YouTube videos if you need to learn how to tie a tie. Uh, so, that's the funny part. I, I don't have to wear a tie. Uh, normally, like, let's put it this way. If someone comes in who's, like, a, a big wig or whatever, you know, like, like a, a big-time person, yeah, I'll probably, like put the three-piece suit on or something, you know, like, just maybe, like, we'll see, or whatever, but I always have a problem when I'm tying a tie, I mean, I'm always too tight or too loose, like, it's, you know, the knot's either too small or too big, I can never get it just right, like, I would say I have to tie mine an average of 1.8 times to get it right, mine's at least three, and then the other, (laughs) so the last time I used to have to do ties a lot, was when I was doing professional Hearthstone casting for the first, like, week or two, so we did the show where we do, like, four a night, I mean, four a week, and then on the fifth day, we would just like, you know, uh, we'd, we'd go in, but we would like not do a live show. It was only, the show was only four days. And for the first week or two, um, you know, we were wearing suits and stuff and they wanted us to wear ties. And like after the second week, I was like, all right, just no more tie. But I would bring it in. It would always be messed up. And uh, my co-host, whose name is whose name is uh, Nathan Zamora, that's admirable. If anybody knows any Hearthstone stuff, like just great caster. He does a lot of the, uh, the Twitch stuff, you know, and they do like rivals and stuff like that. Like he's... He, he, he's actually does a pretty big uh, amount of magic coverage too. Just great guy, hilarious. He would have to like help me out. And I'm like, hey man, like I just cannot get, the, you know, so it would, it looks like it's like my dad, like helping me out, you know, like straighten yeah. up the tie and stuff. Well, so. it, it, it depends on the tie. Some are a little bit longer, shorter than others. Right. And then the type of knot that you're tying, you know, the, yeah. I think most, I, when, when I was a kid and my dad showed me how, he showed me like the most simple knot because he was a, you know, blue collar guy, worked right. third shift. He used to, uh, when he was younger, he would he would wear suits a lot. So, but he, he didn't like to. So we just learned the simplest thing, which is a half Windsor. And I was never a fan of it because it always looks kind of lopsided to me. Um, so I learned how to tie a full Windsor, which is basically just doing the half Windsor and then doing it again on the other side to balance it out. But that would you know leave it shorter. So I had to learn to adjust and leave more length because the half Windsor is is a bigger knot. So um, you just like reminded me of for the full Windsor is bigger knot. Yeah, you just remind me of fun thing. So, like, one of the first times this ever happens, right? I go in, I'm like, hey, like, you know, it's like 20 minutes for show. I'm like, can you just do this tie for me? Like, sorry, I'm to ask, but like, can you just help me out? You know, show's going to start in a second. And so he, like, takes the tie, you know, puts it on around his neck. Cause that's easier, you know, than doing it. Yeah. You know, and, like, just, yeah. and he looks at me, and he's like, oh, what kind of, what kind of knot do you want? And I just, like, blankly stare at him, right? And he's like, you know, half Windsor, full Windsor. And I'm like, uh, a, a tie knot you know like i, I don't know <laughs> like whatever whatever's normal you know and i'm like i'm i don't know like tw- i'm late 20s early 30s when this is going on so i'm like pretty embarrassed you know i'm like oh whatever i just never had to wear suits you know like i was a you know yeah. professional poker player for long for the longest time and like you know and then before that i had like the odd ends jobs you know, like worked at like a golf course at a restaurant you know at a best if you want to know what brand of hoodie is most comfortable yeah at three o'clock oh. in the morning it's 60 degree weather oh i got you it's really funny <laughs> yeah. people talked about that they're like how many i mean there used to be a joke how many hoodies do you own when i was like a, when i was a poker player because i would always have one and i was like i probably have at least 10 and they're all varying degrees of like thickness or comfort and so like in even even when I lived so like I lived in Las Vegas for like four or five years ish you know like on and off I, I left in the middle of that it didn't matter what the weather was like outside because in the middle of summer it's 115 
like literal 115 outside. You need to bring a jacket. But during then you get to bring like the thin hoodie, you know, but then when it's like, when it's a little bit, you know, towards the, the colder parts of the year, it actually gets cold, you know, because there's a desert. And so you got to bring... Yeah, like, they don't have any cloud cover, so you yeah. get a lot of temperature variation. And you, you've seen the one that I have when we would go to, like, you know, I'd go to the Worcester tournament with you. I'd bring that one, like, bigger, thicker hoodie that has, like, the lining or whatever, and you would make fun of me because I could never be outside for more than 20 seconds, and you're, like, walking around in a light jacket, and I'm just dying. I brought an extra jacket for you. Yeah, you were so nice. I mean, the jacket wasn't the thing. Like, the jacket was, like, mostly fine. I just had to learn the, like, the layering. You needed to wear, like, you know, multiple layers and make sure everything's tucked in. Like, that was a big thing. I didn't realize I needed to have stuff tucked in. It was the, what do you call the, what what was the name you had for them? Like, the little. The beanie? Yeah, the beanie caps. And, like, I don't, they just, like, they don't even sell that. Like, they sell it here, but not, it's not common. You know, it's it's freaking Louisiana. It's hot, you know? And that was like a big deal. Like I leveled up when I started having one of those. You know, I I accidentally put that beanie in the dryer recently and shrank it. It's just unwearable now. I'm so disappointed. And I went down. So I I bought that in downtown Roanoke. Right. So we have like Orvis. They they just have a store downtown. They're a major employer in the city. And like it was a nice merino wool beanie. And I've had it probably since I moved here uh, or close to it. And I went down. I was like, oh, I'll just get another one there. And I went in and I figured like, you know, it's December. They've got they've got all their winter stuff out. They had one, you know, display that had beanies on them. And they were only the crappy ones. And I just, I was so disappointed. Now I'm going to have to search online, have it shipped. I loved that thing. It was so warm, I so nice. It. You've worn it. Yeah. yeah. You know how nice that thing was. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it was great. Fortunately... I did the so I did this the day before I flew out to Salt Lake City, and so I was like rushing to do laundry, and I put it in the washer, which it's fine in, but it needs to air dry, and then I but I forgot that it was in there, and I threw it in the dryer. Um, but when I went to Salt Lake, I had to go to Salt Lake City without it, and I was like, that's gonna be awful. But the second jazz game I went to, it was just beanie night, and they gave oh away God. jazz beanies. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Ross is reaching for a jazz beanie right now and showing it. That is a jazz beanie. Holy crap. Okay. I mean, I it's, never, not, not, it's not nice, I, but yeah. it'll do the trick in the, like, the two weeks I need it. I would never be caught dead in that, but sure. <laughs> so how small is the how small is it now, the beanie? Is it like like the palm it, of your it, hand? Um, it, it cannot fit over my head. So, okay, I, so I tried to stretch it out in my hotel room in Salt Lake City. Somebody like tweeted, I, and I tweeted about it obviously right. for the clout. And somebody responded to the tweet is like, and said, "Soak it in diluted hair conditioner," uh, okay. which sort of makes sense to me. It like probably like loosens it up, and then stretch it over something that's about head sized. And so there was, um, I did it over the, I flipped the hotel trash can upside down okay. because that came to a fairly small thing, and stretched over that and hoped that worked. After you know, I, I soaked it overnight. No um, and all that did was like stretch it wide, but it didn't stretch it down, yeah, okay. which is what it needed. And so now it's like, it's just awkward and almost unusable at this point. I just want to say, it just seems like if you, when it had shrunk, it's like the perfect thing for, you know, when you make, if you make soup in the microwave or something, you know, like you have to like heat something up. You just put it oh, around like the a bowl. bowl holder. Yeah. It's just a bowl holder. Ooh, it could, it could work in that capacity. Cause I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's soup season right now. Like Natalie and I are like yeah. all about like soups and bread and stuff right now. Cause like when you get home, it's cold. It's nice. You curl yeah, up I've, I've got a, I got a recipe for mulligatawny sitting oh. uh, in an open tab. 
make that's sure my, you, that's my next soup make sure you save that and send it to me buddy please. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like i i made one of my first soups from scratch the other day and i think i, I i'm telling people at home this about it because i i sent you like the recipe right away and i was like yo this was like bomb like this was really nice. good i had to take massive amounts of um uh, like the 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 dairy supplement that I take, you know, when I when I want to eat dairy, lactate. Yeah, it's 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 like lactate. I had to take like massive amounts of that to be able to eat it because I'm the kind of person when I make something I like it, I go back for thirds. Like yeah. I go, I go hard and stuff. So you you made, you made like a bisque cream soup. Yeah, it was yeah it was a lot of cream, <laughs> and yeah. it's like it's like you can find a way to do it like to to replace it, but the thing is, is like the cream really makes the uh the the taste of the soup like because it's like very cream based. You know what I mean? It's not like a tomato cream. It's like it's like a white creamed based soup. And so I was like, it will drastically change the taste of the soup if I use like, you know, a coconut milk based thing or something. I'm like, no, no, we're going we're going the the actual yeah, the, we're the normal hard. thing. Uh, other than that, uh, for the last week, uh, I had a pretty busy week for, you know, like work, like I said, but there was some cool stuff going on. Um, if you're a fan of sports and you like football, you could have done a lot worse than watching the Louisiana games this weekend. Boy, were they good. We could start with the uh, the one, the outcome was it what I wanted, where the uh, Saints played the 49ers for first place in the uh, in their division. And, you know, so he was going to have home field throughout the playoffs. I mean, there's still a in chance. conference. Yeah, the conference. Sorry, I didn't mean division, conference. And uh, I don't know if you watched this game, but you know, whatever aside, there were some bad calls here or there. It's always going to happen, especially in a game like this. This was... It was it was the number one defense versus one of the better defenses in the, in the league, and there was just a billion points scored. Obviously. Yeah, I heard the over under got tur- like the over was made in the second quarter. Yeah, so we scored on our first three drives, and then they did like almost the, they scored like four of their first five or something like that. It was just yeah. it was absurd. The, and the over under for the game was forty five, and the score ended up like forty two thirty nine or something. Yeah, so they almost broke it themselves. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> really, really entertaining game. Like I was actually like it sucked to, you know to lose as the Saints. We were still going to be in the playoffs. We're still going to be fine or whatever. But that game was great. Like very good game. Uh, one that wasn't as good, quote unquote, from the game was uh, LSU played Georgia in the SEC championship. <laughs> not not and, as entertaining, but a better outcome. Yeah. Oh, for you. I was very entertained. Don't get me wrong. Because here's the thing, I find that for some reason, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I live in the South and it's like a way of life here. Uh, people talk shit a lot more about college sports here than they do professional. You know, like yeah, you know, Dallas Cowboy fans here. You know, they they say some stuff, but I mean, we all know they don't count. SEC is just the heart of college yeah, football, yeah. really. And so the thing is, is like if you haven't followed what's going on in college football, uh, LSU was considered, if not you know number one, then like one one B in in the country this year. Like one of the best teams possible. Our quarterback's going to win the Heisman. We're probably going to take home a lot of hardware. Is like possibly the best running back. We have two of the best wide receivers in the in the league. It's it's absurd. This team. Average like, I think, 47 points a game or something like that. But going in, we were playing against Georgia, the number one defense in the nation. They hadn't given up more than 20 points to a team all year. We scored 20 points in the first, like, 12 minutes or whatever. And I was like, yeah, they haven't played against Joe Burrow and, uh, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner being coached by the Saints coaches from last year. Because if you don't know that, we actually got Saints coaches to come coach at LSU. It's kind of nice, you know. That's smart. Yeah, it's smart. So it was, it was a good game because I really like it when people – you know they talk shit and you just kind of like shove it in their face you know you're like oh, oh well, yeah how was that defense again and then th- they scored seven points in the game like literal actual seven you know they got they got a touchdown it was nice it was it was good for them you know, it was, yeah yeah because like the the biggest thing on us is like our defense hasn't is not as good as it's been in the, in the past but hey if you if you're scoring 45 a game you only need to make a few stops so We'll have to see. Uh, we're in the playoff. We're going to the number one seed in the playoff. We're going to be playing Oklahoma in the first round. And 
one of my uh, one of my friends, aka Yanni. I don't know if you've seen him on social media. Big fan of, of his. Huge college football guy. He thinks that we're like you know a pretty big favorite to win round one, and like we're a ten point favorite. But he's saying that like out of the teams left, Oklahoma is the worst defense, so we're probably gonna be just fine and score a lot of points. So there's the opportunity that I'm gonna be real sad in one of these shows coming up, or real or real happy in a f- in a few weeks when yeah, once the playoffs go. But got a couple couple games left. So what's what's this podcast about again? I feel like we're talking a lot about soup and sports. It's about the two of us because we're great. Yeah. Well, you're you're medium. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm medium plus, so uh, I think together that makes I was going to say medium minus, but okay. Okay, well, medium and medium minus, like that, that it still makes it great, I'm sure. But so yeah. uh, let's get into some some pioneer talk. So it was a Monday yesterday. This is Tuesday now that we're recording the show because we had to wait for Watsy to get their their head out their ass or get done with lunch <laughs> yeah. or whatever and actually post the deck list. We are actually recording basically right after they got posted. I, yeah. I wasn't sure they would. You know, we were we were sitting down, setting everything up, and they got posted while we were doing that. <laughs> oh, we were scr- like, so everybody at home. We're literally. I have like eight tabs up on my second monitor right now, and they're all magic related. They and uh, it's pretty sweet. So real quick, just some housekeeping. There, it, since Monday was yesterday, there was a ban announcement. Uh, we're talking about this. There were no bans, and you I only ex- have eight tabs. It, shut up. This is, I have 34. This is not a competition. That's what? I was about to say this isn't a competition. I have, I have 34 tabs open. That's manic. That's, <laughs> all right. Anyway, beyond some obsessive weirdness from, from Ross here, is it is it is it spaced evenly between two monitors or is it like 34, 32 on one monitor? and like? No, that that's 34 on one monitor. The other monitor has 11. You're, that's, uh, dude, you clean your shit up. <laughs> Seriously. So, some of them are things that will get cleaned up quickly but they have to be open yeah. for a couple days yeah of course all right so uh anyway no bands and you and i both expect that to kind of stay consistent for the rest of the year i think i, I don't i don't foresee a ban coming any monday yeah I, if i so had to th- bet i would bet on none but i could see the other end yeah i i could see something especially after the results of this weekend which we'll get into if these results persist i, I could see something towards the end of the month I, I would not expect anything next week. Right. And I would not expect anything the week after that either. But I could see something on the 30th. It also helps that there's there's no big event left for yeah. playing here. You know, there's like, there's like it, it, you know, I, I will say it still sucks to have your cards banned, but it's not like you're going to be buying something for like, you know, your local like GP or something coming up and you're like, oh no, like I just lost my investment. So thankfully there's not that going on. Yeah. I, I think we'll get a couple continuous weeks here with the same metagame. Let that evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then figure out if we need to do any more bannings. Uh, I think that's where, where Watsi is. And, you know, we're, we're pretty stable at this point. We're almost at the end of this opening beta test mode of the Pioneer format. Um, and we've got a pretty established metagame. I, I was sort of, I was curious for the, for the results of these to see if anything really new would pop up or if we would see a lot of the same old stuff. And in general, we're more the latter than the former. Yeah, I didn't really see a lot of people taking giant risks here. And, and, and maybe that's just like, you know, a thing because it's so new. It's like, well, let's just let's just stick with what we know. We know these are powerful strategies. We know these are good. Or maybe the people who took risks just didn't do as well as they thought they would. We're obviously talking about the results from the three big events that happened this weekend. We have two PTQs and a challenge uh, that went on. Yeah, and you, you, you've got to remember, you know, that first round of bands where Leyline of Abundance, Oath of Nyssa, and Felidar Guardian, we found those two decks, Green Devotion and Cat, Copycat, rather quickly. 
But other than those, the format was fairly new still. It was only a couple weeks old. The, you know, we were still trying things, tuning up lists. So the metagame sort of reset, still in a very Wild Westy phase. This second major round of bans happened in a much more mature stage of the metagame's development. You know, we had tuned Izzet and Soul. We had tuned different mid-range decks, control decks. Even if they weren't performing that well, then we sort of had thrown a lot of stuff at the wall and discarded a lot of things. So people falling back on some of the more of the better performing lists over that time and updating them in a post-ban metagame makes a lot of sense to me. I think they're, you know, we still have some chances of things popping up, but for the most part, we know what Pioneer looks like. And there's really two big winners from this weekend. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And those two decks, you got to think Simic Devotion. If you if you haven't seen or heard of this yet, we're going to talk about that deck. And the other one, one that's it's been around, but it's finally putting up the results, Azorius Control. Yes. So Simic Devotion, this is the list that Jerry Thompson wrote about last Friday on StarCityGames.com. Said it was the next best deck in Pioneer. And he, he might be right. A lot of people took his advice, took basically his exact list, are, are very close to it, and his cyber guide, I'm sure, uh, and really did well in this tournament, especially the second PTQ. You know, Yama Killer won the entire thing with it. Emma Handy took third with a very similar deck. And then the fourth place list from Volcano 666, also playing, you know, Simic Devotion. And the rest of these, um, the rest of these results are littered with other lists of the same deck. So of one of the best performing decks of the weekend and something that we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. So like we had some, uh, who was it that, that compiled all these results? Uh, one of our reviewers, Max, uh, you know, sent me some, sent me a, a breakdown of all the results, you know, of the top 32 decks from the three different tournaments. Yeah. And it's, uh, so in the top eight metagame, it's a, a full quarter. So you're looking at six different top eights across the three events. Uh, and it's a sixth of the top 16, so that's eight of the those 48 decks. And then 14.58%, that's got to be two-sevenths of the top 32 metagame. So two-sevenths of 96, does seven divide evenly into 96? No, it doesn't, so it's close uh, no. to two-sevenths. Yeah, very, very close. Uh, it's Max Oh, Gilmore. yeah, I guess two, yeah. two-sevenths would be, uh, two, or I was going to think one-seventh. For those one-seventh of you who don't know, one, four, two, no, for those one, of you who don't six. know, Ross likes to do the math. Yeah. Uh, it's it's close to that. So it's, it's close to one seventh. So that's out of ninety six. One seventh is so it's going to be fourteen of those ninety six decks. I'm just nodding along, by the way, when you're saying all this, being like, "Yeah, that sounds that sounds right." I'm not even keeping up. I, yeah. I mean, I can't keep up. So now the, these numbers are not as high as Mono Black and Field of the Dead decks were, which is nice to see. Yeah, um, it's also not to say that they can't go up from here. Right. It's also yeah. I would say it could go up, but it's also week one, right? And people hadn't seen this deck yet. And I mean, week one of like brand new things, and like this of this deck coming out. So you you have a target now, right? When you when you do when this deck does this well, and enough people start writing about it. Whenever Jerry Thompson and Emma Handy both do well with the deck and write about it, you best believe that deck is going to be known within the Magic community, especially at the higher echelon of like competitive player. And so this yeah. is definitely a deck like you need to have a plan for this deck going forward. Um, and when we look at it, you know, we haven't even really talked about the cards in it yet. It's a lot like the, the mono green devotion list that we've seen with, uh, you know, you have a ton of, uh, you have a ton of mana creatures. Uh, most of the lists are playing three each of land war and elvish mystic. 
So you have, you know, a bunch of those, but they're playing four Gilded Goose because, and I got to say, this is where we kind of nailed it when we were talking about one of the ones that we got right on where the format was going to go in that the way the energy decks felt, you're going to see decks sort of like that, but with the food being like the, the resource. And so when you have all the mono green parts of it, of like Elvish Mystic, Gilded Goose, you know, Elves and Nissa who shakes the world, you get to add in like Oko Thief of Crowns and Wicked Wolf to kind of really pay off that food. And I gotta say, this deck's great. I think the mana's really good in it. You still have Nykthos to kind of like have a big payoff for, you know, going wide. They started playing Jade Light Ranger as like another card with a, how do you always put it? They have two pips. You yeah. Know, and it, yeah, two uh. green. And it has Walking Ballista in the main, Scavenging Ooze, and Hydroid Crisis is like another real big payoff for adding the blue in here. So lots of ways to sink your mana in. And what I like most about this deck is it's like, it's proactive. It, you know, can go over the top of most things. It can keep up with other decks, but... Also, you don't have to play any of the, like, funky removal spells in this deck because you have Wicked Wolf and Walking Ballista kind of, like, fill, filling those roles as just they're a good threat and a removal spell. So you don't have to play, like, Fatal Push. Now, while Fatal Push is very good in this format, the other deck being, you know, that did really well this weekend is Azorius Control, which has no targets for Fatal Push. So you don't have, like, a dead card. Yeah. To me, uh, you know, it, it, they're calling it Simic Devotion, and it's playing Nykthos. But it's not a Nykthos deck in the way that the Mono Green Devotion deck is playing Burning Tree Emissary. These lists don't play that card. So it's more to this seem looks more to me like the Simic Food deck from Standard that just got Oko banned, ported into Pioneer. Yeah. You know, you, you see a lot of the same tools, all those food cards, Hydroid Crisis, Nissa who shakes the world, uh, just supported by a little bit better acceleration. You know, instead of playing Paradise Druid, you get Mana, you get Lantern Elves, uh, and things like that. Um, and so what happened is like, you know, a lot of the tools from the green devotion deck got banned, uh, Leyline of Abundance, Oath of Nyssa, Once Upon a Time. So they aren't as consistent and as fast at just going over the top of you and doing stupidly powerful things with Nykthos. So what they have to do is slow down a little bit, get a little bit more interactive, get these Okos in the deck, get some blue cards on the sideboard, uh, you know, still maintain those Voracious Hydra's Walking Ballistas, and then have Hydroid Crisis to help out against these heavy removal decks that are coming into the metagame, Azorius Control, different mid-range decks that get put into the metagame now that Field of the Dead is gone. So it's it it's a hybridization, really, uh, that occurs that uh, makes a lot of sense based on where the metagame was going and creates a deck that, you know, isn't as overtly powerful as the Green Devotion decks in the past, but is significantly more resilient uh, and that makes a lot of sense to do. So th this deck, I think, is pretty clearly here to stay uh, pretty solidly tier one uh, and definitely something that you're going to need to keep an eye out for in the coming weeks if you're playing a lot of Pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this deck is great. I think it's definitely, if not the deck to beat, then it's one of the two or three decks to beat. And I got to say this, it, it's it's one of the things that happens sometimes in these decks, the, the, the early version of it, because this is, you know, jerry's like real first attempt at making the deck just is right it just got you know he just nailed it you know the sideboard is good it's got good plans <laughs> yeah i i think emma wanted to change two cards and it was take the four negates and make them two negate two mystical dispute yeah and <sighs> sweeping changes yeah yeah just drastic drastic like I, i'm sure she could write an entire article on just that alone i mean she probably actually could because she's a very good writer but you know uh just saying like it, not really a huge change but you know makes sense to me you know, I, I definitely like Mystical Dispute 
a lot in this format because you're going to see another deck that it's good against when we talk about the other deck that's big. And let's go ahead and transition right into that. Azorius Control was a really big winner from this weekend. And I got to say, you called this, and we both talked about this a lot. You thought Supreme Verdict was like very well po posed to make a breakout. And it did, and it won a PTQ this weekend and the challenge. Yeah, so this is two trophies for the Azorius deck, one for the Simic deck. It's a little bit uh, less represented, but not by much. You know, it, it and where the Ramp Simic Devotion deck is 25% of top eight, Azorius Control is 21%. So that's probably one, one list different. You know, they're tied in top 16s, and then where one is 14.6%, the other one's 10.4%. So you're talking about... Out of 96, that's probably a three-deck difference. And that's in the top 32 meta game. I'm not sure if that changes if you just look at X2s and above, because top 32 gets you a little bit of the X3 bracket. Right. Um, but but very similar. I, I imagine, I would guess, if you ran a statistical test, because this is still statistically a small sample, that these are not statistically different from each other. You know, the difference between them could be chalked up to variance uh, to some degree. So... You know, granted, we also don't know how popular they were in the in the overall metagame. I, my guess is more people played like Azorius Control, seeing as Jerry's article only came out on Friday. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I wouldn't be able to say. So well, uh, do you do you kind of like just give the nod to the blue green deck because there's the blue green ramp deck and blue green Stompy was the you know the third most represented deck this weekend. So like they're they're pretty similar. There's a lot of overlap. No, I, I think they're pretty different. The Stompy deck is very aggressive. Well, that's what I'm saying it, it, it does yeah. not do well when it falls behind. Doesn't mean I know it's different. Like obviously, like the the core idea of it's different, but the cards are so like there's just so much overlap. That you know, I mean, I mean like, Land Worlds and Oko are really good. Yeah, yeah. Let's say we, we talked about this in the last show. It's like, do you want to put Steel Leaf Champion in your deck, or do you want to put you know Wicked Wolf, or you know, like where do you want to go? Do you want to you know Hydra Crease, this kind of thing? So yeah, but you, you uh, I, I made a point in an article. I, I honestly, I can't remember which one. Uh, you write so uh, many from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> it, it was it's a recent article. It might be the one I wrote about Collected Company, where I basically said that Land Elves is just better than Dark Confidant in 2019 because tempo is so much more uh, important relative to card advantage not to say that it's necessarily more important but like you know 15 years ago card advantage was a lot more important than tempo yeah, with the, the cards, way the cards were designed the cards weren't as good they weren't as powerful when they're in play yeah, yeah and uh, yeah uh and and the and the the threats in particular weren't right. as powerful so Especially you could creatures. play more reactive games yeah uh, and and as that balance has been rectified we now see i think on a strategic level like being proactive is just better than being reactive all, all all things in this being equal so but you know we've seen that push towards proactive strategies and in that kind of metagame positioning and tempo gets a lot more important and you know Lenore elves does this a similar thing to dark confidant but on a tempo axis as opposed to a card advantage axis you know you need to untap with it to get value it doesn't provide immediate value uh you know the body is somewhat weak but every single turn it's in play it's a cascading advantage uh now obviously like Going along, Lanor Elves gets a lot worse than uh, Dark Confidant, but that's the nature of card advantage versus tempo. Tempo is a lot more important early. Card advantage a lot more important going late. Um, but you know, in, in 2019, Dark Confidant is just not a great card. Lanor Elves continues to be awesome. It was awesome in 1993. Well, maybe not 1993, but it was pretty good in like 1999. I was playing it in 1994. That's all I'm saying. I needed to cast yeah. my Skilled Worm like one turn earlier, or my Crawl Worm <laughs> one turn earlier. I look, you're laughing. I'm. This is not me being 
I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being literal. I, yeah. needed, I needed to cast that card. I had to take it out of my plastic. Little, so big. Yeah. Well, I had to take my deck out of my uh, out of my sandwich bag. You know, your little Ziploc bag. Take the rubber yep. band off of it. No, oh yeah. No sleeves, and you needed to slam that crawl room on the concrete while you were playing too. Oh yeah. So anyone who's ever played me in Legacy and looked at the cards that I have in my sleeves, you you can tell that I've had some of these cards since I was a kid. Like my Force of Wills and my Urza Lands, like my Urza's Towers, Power Mines, whatever, you've seen them out of the sleeve. They are beat up. You can tell I played with some of these on concrete in their wall. Yeah. But anyway, I don't have a lot of cards from that time. I, I have a, a Plane Shift Terminate that I've owned for probably 20 years. Yeah. Uh, that is, ooh, it's seen better days. Yeah, the only reason I still have some of this stuff, because you know, I've gone through my collection multiple times and like sold out like once or twice, is my, my parents don't really get rid of anything. So at my parents' house, I just have this giant tub like one of those like 40, you know, 20 gallon tubs or whatever, like just filled to the brim of cards. I need to go in there because I'm pretty sure I have some LEDs floating around in there somewhere, but I need to go take a look. But anyway, one of the things that I, let's, let's go back to the, the PTQ and challenge results. One of the things that I, I really liked about the Azurius decks and the fact that they won is when you look at the two winning lists in particular, like we look at these two lists, they are drastically different. You know, you're, you're, you're not seeing a huge overlap. You said, like, one of the biggest overlaps between the two decks is that they're each just playing for Supreme Verdict, right? And then... Yeah, every Azorius list. It's just... The, yeah. It's the reason to be Azorius. Right. And then, like, you're starting to see differences. Like, one of them has cards, like, you know, four Opt main, while the other one has zero, because they have four Sensor main with Hieroglyphic Illuminations and stuff. And you know how I feel about those cards. We can get into that in a second if you want. But you were talking about how these, car these decks are, like, actually different decks, even though they're both the same archetype. I, I think so. So there's there's a lot of card differences across Azorius lists, but they're not wholesale changes. It's like which counter spells do I want to play? Do I want more sensors? Do I want more syncopates? You see a lot of lists with syncopate main. Do I want to main deck some Dovin's vetoes? How many absorbs exactly do I want? Like what removal spells do I want between Azorius Charm, Blessed Alliance, Cast Out is a common one versus Detention Sphere. So there's a lot of like little sort of micro decisions to make in terms of building. You know, how do I split my planeswalkers? You see a lot of lists with one Jace Architect of Thought. How many Teferi Time Raveler, Teferi Hero Dominaria, Narsets? Those ones, you you see them basically in every list, but the numbers change a little bit. How many Dig Through Times versus Sphinx's Revelations? You know, one of these lists, both lists have two Dig. One has uh, zero Revelation, I'm seeing, yeah, in the Amnesia list from the challenge. And the other one has two. Whereas the other has two. I see one in a lot of lists, too. So, you know, like, you know, the, the, ultimately, all of these lists are like, I've got six to eight planeswalkers, like seven counter spells or so, you know, six removal spells, four supreme verdict, and like four, three or four draw spells, and then like 25 to 27 lands. But within those, there's a lot of variation in exactly how they want to split it. Um, and then, you know, even more in the sideboard. You see a lot of Lyra's, some Nyx Lease Rams maybe in some. Uh, I see two copies of Pithing Needle in one sideboard and one in the other. I was actually watching um, uh, Aspiring Spike um play earlier on stream uh earlier in the day and they were playing a lot with Azorius control they have for a little while and were singing the praises of pithing needle they had two in their sideboard played against a lot of planeswalker decks like midrange decks you know shutting down okos shutting down liliana last hopes golgari vraska golgari queens all things like that um and it was really singing that card's praises so that might be something to look to and and then in the mana base yeah, it's just like, I, I really like cards like Needle a lot in decks like this because it only being one mana, yeah, it's kind of like a reactive thing. Sometimes you can kind of preemptively play it because you know what card you're naming and what's going to be the problem. But 
it allows you to do that like and hold up a counter spell for that turn or and hold up dig or something like that so like it gets to yeah. kind of slot into the turn you needed to uh what was it's also nice in decks like this where like you know the, the problem with needle is that it's almost always like coming down after they've gotten some value out of the card right yeah. um and, and so you uh, so you're, you're a little bit behind on that respect, but this deck can afford to give that up a little bit because it's just so good going along. Like eventually you just dominate them in cards between dig revelation to fairy, your lands generating value search for his canta, things like that. So like you just need to get to the late game. And so having that flexibility is really important to just solve every, you know, potential threat. Uh, whereas, you know, a deck like a mid range deck with things like, you know, Courser and Dig that don't have like as many heavy hitters going along and is a little bit more one for one removal really needs its removal to you know uh, be efficient card wise because you know every card it loses is important. This deck can afford to give up a little bit to make sure that the threat is neutralized going along uh, and to make sure that like the next threat doesn't you know come along with it, which is the point that you made. Yeah, and so like there's there's one thing I wanted to talk about. Kind of I kind of alluded to it earlier. So one of the lists has four opt in it, while the other list has zero. And that list has four sensor, but it's also playing four hieroglyph- uh, hieroglyphic illumination. Blech. I, I swear I can I could pronounce this word. But anyway, uh, I know it's side that I like to be on a little bit more after playing these decks and playing this format a little more. And I'm actually like pro sensor hieroglyphic illumination side than I am on opt. Because because here's the thing. We talked about this earlier. It, it, you almost never get in a situation where you're opting for a specific card and hit it, unless it's a card like exactly Supreme Bird, like a card that you have like a four of in your deck, because a lot of the cards in your decks aren't four ofs. They're one and two and possibly three, but like the odds of you getting to it aren't the thing. You know what I mean? And so early, what you're normally doing is you're opting to find a land. And most of the time, just cycling sensor or hieroglyph emulation is almost the exact same thing. While these cards also have big upside because they have a counter spell attached to it or a draw to attached to it later in the game. And I like that flexibility a lot more than just draw. Because like, I'll tell you this I've played blue eye control a lot, especially in this format. And when you're playing and you've got them kind of, you're like at parity, you might have a planeswalker going, whatever. It's on turn like eight, you have a bunch of lands to play and they have a bunch of lands. When you top deck opt versus top decking hieroglyphic illumination, God, I'm going to. Anyway, when you top deck those cards one is drastically better than the other one you know late in the game yeah and you're going to get in that situation a lot you know, you're playing for the long game uh i also think that you know that choice informed the difference in their mana basis you know one list is a pr- pretty standard mana base i would say for azorius so you've got some castles some fields some different dual lands and basics uh notably three temple of enlightenment but the amnesia list from the challenge they're playing irrigated farmland instead of temple, in particular because it is an island. Uh, it's also a plains for Castle Ar- Ardenvale, but it is an island for Mystic Sanctuary where you see three copies here. You know, no way to fetch them, so you just gotta draw them naturally, but it's still just extra value from your mana base. It's a pretty powerful card when you've cycled Hieroglyphic Illumination early, and then you just play this on turn four and get back an Illumination, and now you're set up to be able to you know cast a draw spell on turn five that you already got some value from. Uh, you know, maybe it helped you hit your land drops early, which is really important. But farmland, I think, makes the mana base a lot smoother, and also Glacial Fortress. Um, so you just don't have as many ETB tapped lands. That's something I struggled with with my early list of Azorius control. Um, so I like farmland, I think, more than... Even in a list without Sanctuary, I think I like farmland more than um, Temple of Enlightenment. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And for 
here's the main reason why. Like, scrying is great and fine. You know, we talked about, like, you know, Temple of Lightning is really good on, like, turn one and two if you're not trying to make your lands come into play tapped, uh, untapped because, you know, having the planes or island subtype. But when you look at Amnesia's list, you have four Illumination, four Sensor, and four Irrigated Farmland. So four cards that cycle. I'm sorry, 12 cards that cycle, eight of which cycle for one mana. When you're playing three Mystic Sanctuaries, you need a certain amount of cards that cycle for cheap so that, like, if there is a specific card you were trying to get, like, say, one of these Supreme Verdicts and cast it on, like, turn six or whatever, you can play the Sanctuary, put the card on top of your library, cycle an Illumination or cycle a Sensor that's been sitting in your hand, because you can see this coming a turn or two down the line. Get that card and cast it immediately. So when you're playing something like this three Mystic Sanctuary build, you need to have a certain amount of cards that draw a card for super cheap. And this is just better than Opt in this situation. Because again, oh, wow. you have the upside and you're drawing the card yeah. any way that you want. No, that, that's a, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Not one I had considered. That pattern, I think, I bet comes up a lot. It basically just becomes extra copies of Verdict, right? Yeah. Or extra copies of whatever spell you need. So in the late game, so you probably hold your cycling cards a little bit more as long as you're making your land drops so that you can get this pattern and suddenly you're, you're just drawing super live. You know, it's almost like having a, a wish board, but you wish for one mana. <laughs> uh, you know, and you're just like, well, you know, any card any card in my graveyard now, I have, you know, however many copies are left in my deck, plus three sanctuaries to draw to more of them uh, and really put this game away. Uh, so that, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes me like sanctuary more uh thinking about doing that to people yeah i think this is an easy way to like lock up a lot of your matches because in some of your matchups certain cards are just like your best cards right like against anything that's putting a lot of things on the board supreme verdict is just your knockout card and usually if you cast the second one it's game over so mystic sanctuary is like you said extra copies of the card or if you have a certain card in your sideboard like there's a bunch of aether gusts in the sideboard of one of these decks and you just need to be able to do that against the blue green deck then yeah, you've got, you know, extra copies of these. We see four Absorb in this deck list, a deck that's starting to pick up a little bit in uh, in popularity. And we're seeing it even got, I think, second place in this event, in the challenge, is just Burn. You know, it, the, the deck did have 17 creatures, but you're looking at 20 Burn spells. I'm sorry, almost 23 Burn spells in this deck and four Remnant Ruins. A card like Absorb or Blessed Alliance even, you know, it's got this in the deck. You get to cast that multiple times in a game. The game's just over. Like they're, they're not beating you casting that card multiple times. So this is a, out of the two, I think I like this one a little better right now. I don't know which one's better in the mirror. I would have to like actually play it out a little bit, but here's the thing. I, I still like the one that has more cycling because again, you're going to get through your deck and get through the dead cards quicker and your dig through times are going to be better because you're more efficiently filling up your graveyard. So I don't know. I, I like, I like Nisha's build a lot. Nothing wrong with the other one. I don't think the other one's bad at all. I just like this build better. There is a little bit of tension between Mystic Sanctuary and Dig Through Time, but I think right. you can make that work. Yeah, I think that, no. yeah, is, is anyone who's played a good bit of control, uh, a lot of the skill that comes along with this deck is planning three turns ahead. You know, planning two or three, like, what am I going to do on this turn, the next turn, and the next turn? Like you said, you have to, like, hold on to your cycling cards a little bit more. I think you're going to be always keeping track of, like, how many cards do I have on my sideboard? How much am I delving? I'm sideboard in my graveyard. Uh, how many cards am I delving? I need to make sure that one card is there, you know, kind of thing. Because even then, like, you may be digging for the Mystic Sanctuary at that point. And that's a that's a, that's a a plan you can have. Also, like, if you're casting dig, 
then the dig is going to be still in the graveyard and you can always just get that that back with your sanctuary so you're never you're never out of options yeah so uh you sent me a deck list last week of this like blue red flash deck right and yeah it was it, immediately in the in the deck list you had four dig through time three turn choke gear hulk so i was sold immediately I, the other, it was three it was three and three but. it was three and three whatever so i was like yeah the rest of the deck doesn't matter to me i'm, I'm pretty sold on this and, yeah, that's why I sent it to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I ended up playing it on a local win the win a box and won the event with it. And the deck felt sweet, obviously, or whatever. I liked it a lot, but uh, that was the thing that happened every time. Is like I would cast Dig Through Time, and I would just like look at the the cards, and there'd be like another Gear Hulk, and I would look at my graveyard. I'm like, oh, there's no graveyard, but wait, there's a Dig Through Time on the stack that's just gonna be there. <laughs> and it's like obviously you've made all your land drops because you're like a land heavy deck and stuff. And I was like, this is just this is just too good. And so, uh, we, you know, we've talked about this is one of the things where, like, I think eventually if one of the blue draw spells gets taken out of this format, it will probably be dig just from ubiquitous and, like, power level alone. But Yeah, definitely on the watch list. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'll say this. If blue-white control is a good deck, like a very good deck, unless it's oppressively good, I think dig your time is fine. Like, having it be, like, one of the best cards, and if it's this the best deck, I'm okay with it. Because then it's fightable. Also, it's not like this is a four dig, like this is what I'm doing. Like They're just playing two because it's a good card, and that's about how many they can support. Like, you know, banning it's not going to like put a huge dent if Azorius becomes no. oppressive. If this deck becomes oppressive, the only card you can ban to like really put a nail in it is Supreme Verdict. Exactly. Because that's the only card that like every list shares. Or Island. Four of. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know. Even then, they'd probably We're... actually just be fine. <laughs> just run enough. Of... There's so <laughs> many. Well, Blue-White has so many dual lands. Like, and I mean so many. Like, this deck doesn't even have like port town or what's the other one um yeah try, try playing port town without basic island in your deck yeah you know what i mean uh what's the other one not port town uh prairie stream, prairie stream again without basic island in your deck yeah, again so, yeah. so you're just playing a pile of coastal towers no, no no no. you've got you've got irrigated farmland and you've got uh coastal tower okay. temple of enlightenment shut coastal up. tower shut up glacial anyway. fortress now coastal tower yeah but I mean, you know what we, we can make it work ross i have played a lot of decks that had guild gate in them in my day so uh, we, we can make this work. I went old school with the reference. Thank you very much. Yeah. I hope you appreciated the. That's the invasion. That's the OG. It's essentially Azorius Guildgate. Yeah. There was a, a cycle of uh, friendly colored ones. It was in, like in a, Flame Palace or whatever. Elfame Palace, yeah. Shivan Oasis. Um, something Urborg. The Black Red was something Urborg, right? Volcano yeah, Urborg something. or something like that? Or something Urborg Volcano. volcano. Urborg yeah. Volcano, yeah, yeah. And then what was the blue black one? Oh. Saltwater Marsh? Yeah, at that, salt that mar just Salt Marsh, Salt Marsh. It sounds that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I'm sure yeah. someone I, th I think I think that's the five of them. Yeah. We we played those in our decks back then and we were happy about it. Those cards were yeah. good. I know like uh if you've ever heard of Zvimashvitz's the solution, the solution yeah, yeah. which was uh, a deck they built for a pro tour for a very specific invasion block constructed metagame. And it was this Azorius mid-range deck. The mana base for that deck, I'm pretty sure, was ten islands, ten planes, four coastal towers. Oh, for everyone who just heard what he said and didn't understand it, there used to be a format in Magic called Block, where you only played within that block. And if you don't know what that means, so like, let's say, uh, like, what was a lot, one of the last ones we had, like, Ixalan. Like, only cards from the Ixalan sets would be legal at this event. Like, I, I, I think I played the last Block Pro Tour. I don't know if there was one after that. It was like, I think I, I played in the, um, the one in Charleston, South Carolina. It was the team one. So... It was a... There were a million block protors after that. Were there really? I thought they yeah. stopped like a year or two later at the most. No. Uh. No, they stopped like a decade later. I played the Return to Ravnica block protor. You're talking about Charleston, which was 2006. I could have sworn they like stopped after that. Okay, I'm just wrong. No. All right, anyway. 
Um, yeah. We had to play a tiny and I, one. And I think they played after, I think there was more after the RTR block one. I think there was I one or two su- after that. I would, yeah, I would be surprised if it lasted much longer but, after that. But, like, uh, Craig, Craig Wesco won the RTR block per that, You know what? Done. You're actually right. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember this. But uh, I was going to say, we had to play a team one where it was unified. So, like, but it was cool. If, if It didn't have the unified rules they have now. So, like, I could have two breeding pools in my deck, and you could have two breeding pools in your deck. So, yeah, it was four the, total. If you, if you stacked all three decks together, they had to form a legal deck. Yeah. Uh, disregarding, like, 15-card sideboard limits. Yeah. Like, the, the 225 cards you had could not have more than four of a given non-basic land. Registering your deck for the event was really weird. They gave you one sheet. Like, one long sheet with, like, a front and back, <laughs> if I remember right. And you just, like, would, you would, like, list your deck. And there'd be like a space, and you'd be like deck two or player B or whatever. And then you'd like list your yeah. deck, and then like player C. This is a long time ago, so I'm trying to remember, but yeah. I remember writing it all out. And I guess it made it easier on the judges to be able to like look through the list and see if there was like, you know, a double, uh, a four or five of a card or whatever. So anyway, we to give we you an this. idea of how ancient this tournament is, this was the breakout tournament for Paulo Vitor Damodorosa from team Rala Pumba, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think they took second to a Japanese team. Yeah, they took second to uh, a Japanese team. I was going to say, uh, this is also, th- th- this is a funny story. This is also this one of the tournaments where it's a resort. I went undefeated day one and did not get to play in day two. So that was that was a that was a fun one. Sounds like you didn't go undefeated then. Yeah, you know what I mean. Win as a team, lose as a team. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Allow me to not be that way for like half a second. But no, that one yeah. was really fun, actually. I, I qualified with like two local guys. And we like you know played a couple of PTQs like did really well together. It was just a fun event. We got to go with another local team that that qualified as well. So a lot of cool stuff uh, happened there. So yeah. eh. you actually qualified for that pro tour via team unified constructed PTQs. That one it was standard unified. Yeah, that one that one was really hard to qualify for because like you qualify by winning a PTQ. You could qualify on rating, though I think. Our team qualified on rating, and I think we were one of the only ones in the country because you all started at a blank slate, so getting actual rating points was impossible. Because like, yeah, you, you, this was in the Elo rating days, and you had separate Elo ratings for each format, and so and you're you, you qualified for a Pro Tour of a given format by having a high Elo rating in that format, or you could always qualify in composite, which was just the average of of standard and uh, limited, I think. But you could also qualify based on your ELO in a specific format. It, it was it was a it was weird. There was also a way to, to make a composite for your team. Yeah, it was just the average, I think. Yeah, because I remember because Tom Ross is like local to me. I remember him talking about it. He had to post on some forum because like you know Twitter didn't exist or whatever. They posted on some forum. It might have been like what was it like IRC or what was it that everybody used? I, IRC channel. Yeah, yeah there was like an IRC channel, and it'd be like, hey, this is my rating. Can two other people who have like a rating, like there are multiple teams that had never met each other in person playing together at this pro tour because <laughs> they were like, okay, so your rating is X, mine's Y, and this one's Z. Together, we have exactly enough to qualify for this pro tour or whatever. Yeah. And then you just like tell Watsy, like, this is my team. <laughs> yeah. I remember because you had to get from you had to get from sixteen hundred to seventeen hundred as a composite rating yeah. in in that format in the team format to to qualify for it. And we were I think seventeen oh one. Because I remember when we signed when we signed in, they were like, "How'd you qualify?" And we're like, "Rating." So they look it up real quick and they go, "Ooh, barely!" Like the person behind the the thing. And I was like, <laughs> "Yep, all right, cool." And so that was an interesting, uh, interesting tournament. Anyway, we're, we're digressing quite a bit. So, so the 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 Simic Devotion deck and Azori's Control clear winners. There's a couple sort of tier two decks, and they're carryovers from the bands. You know, the Simic Stompy deck very much around. This was you know twelve and a half percent of the top eights. So you're looking at what three out of the twenty four. Uh, and then it has the same, you know, a similar 
metagame percentages of top 16 and top 32 to Azorius and Simic Devotion. So it's about on their level in the wider metagame, just didn't convert to uh, more top eights, maybe a little variance, maybe it's just not as good against the upper level decks. Um, you know, a little bit too early to see, but that deck, even without Once Upon a Time, definitely still around. Um, and then Black Aggro, not so much of the Mono Black Aggro deck that we're used to. There are a couple. It took second in one of the PTQs. Um, just sort of replacing Spunger's Copter and um, what was the one one? Night Market Lookout. But we're seeing a lot more of the Clyde the Glide Mono Black Vampire deck, with which is still pretty aggressive, but plays Soar and Imperius Bloodlord and uh, uh, what's the champion? Champion of Dusk. Champion Dusk. Um, uh, and then you're really you know, leaning on me for card names, and it's usually the other way around. I don't like this yeah. look, Ross. This is not a good well, look for me. I, so I was thinking like black card champion, and then just Bloodsoak champion pops into my head. That, I'm like, that's, that's also in right. the deck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that that one's not in the Vampire deck. Okay, the vampire right, deck right, just right. has it plays uh, just Thoughtseize and the one two. Um, wow, I'm, I'm blanking again. Knight it's of Ebon Legion. Yes, Knight of, Knight of Ebon Legion in the one slot, but then has Gifted Aetherborn and. Uh, you know, the Dusk Legion Zealot uh, to round everything out can is, a, again, a little bit more grindy. Format, it's just sort of, uh, you can't get underneath as consistently because those decks have been nerfed. You can't go over the top as much because Field of the Dead is gone. So you know, everybody is sort of pushed a little bit towards the middle, uh, which makes sense. This is where we expected the metagame to go, but still a decidedly aggressive deck. Uh, but has has some of those grindy elements the same way it operated in standard. So those decks still around seem like a, a, a little bit behind, I think, Azorius and Simic Devotion to me, but still good. Yeah, and there's something I wanted to say about the second place list. So this is like the cleanest deck list I have seen in Pioneer, like I think ever. So the, the deck list is literal all four ofs. And then, and then the lands, it's got only three Castle Aquain. Maybe they just didn't have the fourth. I'm, I'm joking, whatever. They probably, it's probably right. Like four Mutavolt, 16 Swamp, and Urborg. But then the rest of the deck is literal four ofs. And then the sideboard is four, four, three. But there's a card <laughs> in the sideboard that I want to talk about that I thought was just genius. Is, is it the one I want to talk about? Is it Lifebane Zombie? Yeah. And so this deck just has four Lifebane Zombies in the sideboard. So for people who maybe weren't around, because this card was only around for a little while, but it's very good in stay in standard. Tweet at Brian Kibler about this card. He has plenty to oh, say. Please tweet at Brian Kibler. <laughs> he he specifically thought this card was was uh, printed to to like ruin his life. Right, anyway, yeah, this card is a and and I mean he left Magic not long after this card was printed. <laughs> Just saying, coincidence? I don't think so. But anyway, uh, so it's it's one black black for a three one. It's a zombie warrior if that matters. This card is intimidate which means it can't be blocked except by artifact creatures and or creatures that share a color with it. So it can only be blocked by an artifact creature or a black creature. Um, when it enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals his or her hand. You choose a green or white creature card from it and exile that card. So this doesn't, like, when I remember the first time I read this card, I was like, this is interesting. When you, like, the way it plays out in the games, like, when you take their Wicked Wolf or you take their, their Hydroid Crisis... crisis the game ends on the spot because not only do you just do that and like mess up their curve and take one of their powerful cards, this is a 3-1 unblockable card as well. Yeah, attacks Nissa effectively. Uh, you know, if it gets turned into an Elk by Oko, like that's probably not something they really want it to do. Um, even like yeah, normally three drops they can they can generally ignore. Mm -hmm. So, but this one, like they probably have to use a plus one on it. So that's nice. Very good card in these matchups. So no surprise to see that card in the sideboard of a second place list in the PTQ where these green decks did particularly well. 
Yeah. You, you can see that they probably just, like, super leveraged it. In fact, like, here's the thing. If you showed me these two decks in the finals, because uh, the mono black deck lost to Yama Killer in the finals playing the Jerry Thompson and Mahandi, uh, like, Simic deck, I think I would actually give a little bit of a nod to the black deck just because, like... I think their main deck is great. You know, that has the typical creatures that you're looking at. You're looking at four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, and they have four Grasp of Darkness main now, so you're killing everything in the other deck. But yeah. when you look at the sideboard, not only do you have those four Life Bane Zombies, you have four Noxious Grasp in the sideboard too. You're almost overloaded for this matchup. You know, you can maybe take out some of the little crappy things. Like, you probably take out one of your crappy one-drops, right? Like, so, like that just gets yeah, blocked. Yeah, gutter bones. Is, yeah, yeah. Gutter bones is the wor worst in Bloods of Champions. Yeah, it just, yeah, it just doesn't have an effect on the game as much. Like, it almost never gets to attack profitably. So you're just killing everything they're doing while attacking with a Scrap Heap Scrounger or, like, a Rankle. You know, and you even have Murder Rider. So you're literally just killing every card in their deck. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would bring in Kalidus in this matchup yeah. because you're going to have 16 removal spells. And, and so this is where this is where the sideboard really comes into play because here's the thing. When you're killing everything they're doing, one of the ways that you lose in that matchup is they just have a Hydroid Crisis, right? And you're killing everything, and eventually they just Crisis you for like four or five. So as long as you don't get top decked on, you know, they don't just miracle a Crisis in play, you have Life Vein Zombie to like take it from them. And you're also killing a lot of their mana creatures, so they're not getting to like Hydroid Crisis for what they want. You're going to see a lot of like 2-2 two, two Hydroid Crisis in these matchups, so... I actually like this deck a lot going forward if the blue-green deck is going to be very popular and, like, the, the blue-green Stompy deck as well. Yeah. And of note, like, you know, you, the four Grasp of Darkness in the main, this is more removal than the old list had mm -hmm. with Smuggler's Copter, but that's just an, a nod to the fact that the format's getting a little bit more mid-rangey. Now you have to play a little bit more removal in your mono-black deck, um, and, and that still seems fine makes you a little bit worse against the control decks replacing smuggler's copter with grasp of darkness against azorius control is a that, that's a big loss so this list is definitely metagamed towards uh towards not control decks you know you're gonna have to post board bring out eight removal spells do you have eight cards you want to bring in I, I guess you want to bring in grasp against all their planeswalkers and duress mm -hmm. but then you still have rider and grasp which is a little so too much reaction to me i probably want I remember these decks were in standard, and I was the control player in the matchups, and I had life bans on me get cast against me like numerous times after sideboard because it's still a like a decent thing, right? And then in some of the matchups, like they bring in Lyra, so you might be able to snipe a Lyra or or snipe a uh, a mentor or something they bring in because they have those cards as well. But it's also a three one that's hard to block because you see some of these some of these decks sometimes they have like one creature in the sideboard like a Nyx Fleece Ram. Or something along those yeah. lines, or Mutavault in their deck, so they can kind of trade with something, and you get around all of that. Yeah, maybe bring in like two Grasp, two Life Bane, and the Fortress, mm -hmm. and cut the eight removal spells. I could get behind that, but I, I agree. A well put together list, even though you know a very simple list with mm -hmm. with just straight fours. Uh, so not surprised to see that one doing well, and also just happy to see the you know the the decks that got hit by bans beyond Field of the Dead still doing well. Yeah, because this so, is a that's a big deal, right? Like people owned this deck. And it's like, well, yeah. I, I lost out on Smuggler Chopper, so like now I need a whole, whole new deck. I'm thinking of, even especially the people at my local store, you know, at the Win a Box that we played, it was right after the, the bannings, and three people were still just, just playing Mono Black. You know, they just changed cards, and one of my buddies, he loved that deck so much, he's like, yo, like, help me help me fix it, and I'm just going to send him this deck list, because, you know, we just got it. I'm going to send him and be like, I would play this, like, card for yeah. card, pretty much. I think this, I think this deck's great. I think you could work on the sideboard a little bit, make it a little bit worse against green decks, a little bit better against control right, decks yeah. than That's where that list exactly is. Uh, but the you know the main deck looks solid. I like going up to four rankle now because now that's the card that helps you know generate some of the, those synergies with the discard mode. That's a good point. Uh, 
So uh, I like to see Rankle, though I, I did also like uh, Spawn of Mayhem. Um, so uh, I, I might still dabble with that card a little bit, try to find a split that, that makes, some, makes some sense. But, uh, you know, Rankle also quite good against Control decks. Haste creature that attacks Planeswalkers. The discard mode is excellent there. So I, I do think Rankle is, is quite a bit better than it was. That was a card that we started to see get cut from these mono black decks towards the, uh, the end of that metagame. But definitely a card that's back in a big way for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just overall, I got to give this. I got to give this deck like my seal of approval. Big fan. Um, I I have the mono deck black deck sleeved up. I just got to get me some life saving zombies now. As you know, easy easy little fix. I already have my grasp with darkness stuff. So easy. Fix. Well, I don't even know if I have own four wrinkles, but I I like the deck. I've always liked this kind of strategy in Magic, like the the cheap creatures, like just enough interaction. And like a quick clock, you know, the Delverish quote unquote type decks. And this one feels like that deck. You know, you don't have counter spells like you do in them, but you have the removal spells and the discard spells that can kind of, you know, fit that similar role. But you're also not like the the mono white and mono red decks that are pretty bad in the late game. This deck can definitely play long as Delver decks could for quite some time. Um, I gotta say, big losers from the weekend for me are combo decks. Yeah. We saw a lot of hype around Simic Nexus. I know uh, Todd Anderson thought that that deck might just come to dominate and be the next ban. Uh, saw I've seen some hype around the Lotus Field deck. There's a couple different builds of it over the last couple weeks. And I think uh, if my count is right, there were two Nexus decks across the three top 32s and one um, Lotus Field deck. And the Lotus Field deck was way down. It was like th- exactly 30th or something. So not a super impressive finish. So neither deck really... Um, making a big impact here. And then we didn't really see any other ones pop up. I thought um, I thought things like Ascendancy Combo might pop up if the metagame slows down a bit because they're, you know, that deck's pretty powerful and Dig Through Time gives it a, a pretty good resilience. But it, it just took some time to set up if you didn't have that turn three Ascendancy, turn four kill you draw, you know, outside of your best draws. You know, you were killing on turn five, turn six, and that just wasn't good enough. It appears that it's, it's still not good enough. You know, there's too many moving parts for me, honestly. Like, I know there's ways to find it, but it's like I sat next to you for an entire tournament, which we didn't play that long when you played a Jeskai Ascendancy deck. And like, your deck looked really good when you had Ascendancy. And when you didn't, your deck looked like a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> like, yeah, it was looked... just me flailing around. Yeah, I was, I, it, it was, it was the difference between Magikarp and Gyarados, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> When I had Jeskai Ascendancy, I was fully involved. I'm, I'm casting all the, I'm doing all these great moves. I don't know what, what does Gyarados do. He has had that laser move, but all, all Magikarp does is flail. You're speaking a different language to me. I just heard you say Pokemon, and I just lost it. But that is Pokemon, yeah, I, right? Yeah. Okay. No, I played the uh, the Gen One games. Actually, I still have them, and I have uh, I have a Game Boy Pocket, a Game Boy Color, and a Game Boy Advance in my closet, and probably like three or four games for each of them. Um, but Pokemon but, for sure. Yeah, I have. Uh, I don't think my Pokemon cartridge works. I think it got corrupted at some point. But I have. A, I have a blue cartridge. I have a red cartridge back there, and like I never owned a red cartridge as a kid, so I don't know where that came from. You probably borrowed it from one and of then, your friends and never gave it back because you're just no. I never. I I never borrowed. A, I literally never remember having one in my possession ever. And then it just was there. Did Did Drunk um, Ross order one one night or something off the internet? I don't. I don't know. I just don't. I 
I have no clue where it came from, and then I have I have a silver cartridge. I, I play blue and silver. I can see you having like your seventh beer. You're at the computer or whatever. You're like you know you're on, you're on the internet. You're like future Ross will really appreciate yeah. this. Click buy now. <laughs> Add to cart. Future Ross is gonna fill out that Pokédex for the <laughs> twenty years later. <laughs> it's like Add to cart. Click. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's that was the difference for me in the, the Ascendancy decks. They just flail around so. Yeah, I could buy that. I think that's the the same thing going on here. So there's not a lot of combo around. A little disappointing for me. I, I like a good combo deck. I think it keeps people honest. Um, I don't, but I, I I agree with the keeping honest part. I dirty combo players. Ugh, stay away. <laughs> I, 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 but yeah, I say that I've played combo decks in events before because you know when it's the best deck and I'm trying to win heavily or whatever you know. Because like even if depending on your your definition of combo, like I played Hogak in a couple events and like. I was like, this deck's pretty much a combo deck. Uh, the version that had, um, the version that had Alter, I think, was sort of aggro combo hybrid. Post Alter, it was just an aggro deck, but it was an aggro deck that was yeah. That's up. what I meant. Like, you know what I mean? It was like it was arguable. Like a lot of the games that you won, it felt like, well, I never actually like attacked with these creatures, and I was just kind of setting up a game state where I could not. Like, they could not do anything. Like, they were just dead. Yeah, it was like Affinity with Disciple yeah. and Skull Clamp. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. I, I don't need my PTSD starting to fire off, Ross. Chill out. Speak, <laughs> speaking about block events, Jesus Christ. Like, that was... You just drew You just drew 30 extra cards and then played three Disciples and killed them. Yeah, exactly. But So, uh, I know there was a couple other decks that kind of, like, you know, popped up, you know, that did well and didn't do well this weekend. I know, you know, you and I talked about this deck would probably make a comeback, but... Sultai Midrange actually had a little bit of a comeback this weekend. We kind of expected that. Yeah, but really in the hands of one person. This is Sokos13 took third place in the first PTQ on the weekend and then 11th place in the other one. So Pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, that that is a, a strong run. So you think X1 in the Swiss of the first one and then 1-1 in the top eight. So you're at an X2 and then probably an X2 to get top 16 in the other one. So X4 on the weekend uh, through, um, I would say, 19 or 20 rounds of Magic. That's, you know, you're talking about an 80% win rate, maybe a little less, but above 75 uh, and and with a pretty healthy collection uh, of matches played. So an impressive run by them over the weekend. Uh, Also took 17th in the modern PTQ, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. I did not. With with Infect and Modern or whatever. That that, that is a good showing for a weekend, and you probably feel like like just real crappy at the end of it. You're like, I won. Caught yourself there, Tannen. I won so many matches so many matches that i have like you know just you came so close like yeah uh yeah and then you feel like you walk away with, with very little although i'm sure they're moto rich at this point steak knives i think is the phrase that we used to use <laughs> yep i've got a lot uh, of steak knives the, you know the, the, their sultai list has a lot of things in common with the list that did early but takes out some of the traditional elements only one courser only one dig through time and zero dig in another list and has really replaced those with more food cards you know they're playing the gilded goose a little few more few elves in there too to get some acceleration they're playing wicked wolf had two in the first list and then went up to three so i would assume that card you know performed quite well for for them uh, four copies of oko obviously in both lists but uh not a ton of like super over the top stuff here you know, you've got your Tyler Strackers. There's one this copy of the Scarab God on the third place list. Uh, that got cut, and that's sort of the most expensive card in the deck. And then the Dig Through Time probably comes up next. So, so the curve is pretty low here. And what that tells me is that Oko is fucked up. So you, you, just, you just don't need expensive cards. You have Oko. I didn't know where you were going with that. <laughs> I just, oh, man. 
I was not expecting that, but I was just about to, you know, I was thinking about what I was going to say next. I was going to ask you the question. It's like, do we need to put Oko officially on the watch list after this weekend? And I think we do. I don't, Oko is already on the watch list. I think after this weekend, Oko is at the top of the watch list. Yeah, that's more of like you know, where I was it, getting it, at. But It showed up in like a third of the top 32 decks. Yeah, and, and they're so. distinctly different decks too that it's showing up in too. Like you're yeah. seeing like, you know, this strategy, that strategy, that strategy, because this card is very easy to just put into your deck. Especially when, like, the better, some of the better cards in the format are stuff like Abrupt Decay, which leads you to play green cards, which leads you to play Gilded Goose, which leads you to play Oko. Because, you know, turn two Oko is broken, and then you can just, like, pair it with, you know, blue cards, green cards, black cards, whatever, whatever works out. And in this deck, we just see all of it together. And I think it speaks to how powerful Oko is when you start seeing uh, Wicked Wolf just making its way into a lot of these decks. And, you know, I mentioned this on the show. I think it was like a week ago or two weeks ago that I, I thought this card was severely underplayed and should be played more because I like cards like Wicked Wolf and I like cards like um, uh, the Dragon. Uh, I literally just blanked. Glorybringer? Yeah, Glorybringer. Cards that have like immediate impact when they come into play but still leave behind a body that's relevant and stuff like that. And these cards are great. And I don't... What I thought of when I was thinking of Glorybringer, Wicked Wolf is like actually, I think, what you want in a lot of ways, except it doesn't attack right away, but it does kill off almost every creature in these decks if you have food behind it. And it is, is another good payoff for Oko. And oftentimes, if you have two or three food lying around, now you got a card that dominates the battlefield. It's like Bristling Hydra. Mm-hmm. You know, when you play back in the day, when you played Hydra and you had went up to nine energy, nobody was ever killing that card, and it was bigger than everything. Wicked Wolf is a very similar. Uh, so definitely a, just a very good magic card. You know, there's not a lot of huge creatures. Like, one food gets you up to killing pretty much everything other than maybe Lovestruck Beast. Like, kills Steelift Champion, kills Glorybringer with Corsair one food, Crufix. kills Corsair Crufix, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe Tracker can grow out of it, but it takes a while. That's, that's a lot. Kills Spawn of Mayhem, kills, you know, Rankle. So, not a lot of decks. Kills Bonecrusher Giant, you know. Not a lot of decks are playing five toughness creatures. Lovestruck Beast is, like, the one exception. And So, you, so with two food, you basically dominate the battlefield with this card. Uh, so, uh, I'm not surprised to see it here think it works really well in the deck especially when you have the extra mana creatures um i i don't know if the real like that first week one list had any mana creatures in it i think it was more black heavy and trying to be a little bit more spell dense this one is you know realizing i've got to be a little bit proactive here so i'm going to be casting my okos and my tireless trackers in turn two a lot of the time you know if you kill my elf then i'll thought seize you make sure your next turn isn't that great to set up my turn three i think that's the kind of thing it's going for and that makes a lot of sense. No. It also helps you play some more, you know, expensive cards out of the sideboard. I see a copy of Vivian Reed. That one looks really cool. And my favorite card in the entire 75, the Singleton Dragonlord Slumgar. Mm-hmm. Be still my beating heart. That card that is, is a nice one. pretty impressive, by the way. In yeah. a lot of spots. You know, like, th- take- 3-5 Flying Death Touch. Not a lot's attacking through that. Plus taking your opponent's Oko. Yeah. Yeah, so they, can, they can't then, you know... Uh, and even if you, even if they pl- have a second Oko and they plus on your Slumgar, you you keep control of it, of their thing. They've got to actually take the Slumgar off the battlefield. So actually, with a lot of people being lower on removal and higher on Oko, because Oko just sort of takes care of a lot of threats, Dragonlord Slumgar gets a lot better because it's a threat that matches up well against Oko's plus one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not to mention, obviously, taking it being very good, taking anybody's Teferi is great, um, of either kind, really. Uh, you know, it, nobody can fatal push this. You can't abrupt decay it. You know, can't noxious grasp it. What what's killing this thing? 
there's not a lot. Has f- light lightning axe? There's not a lot of lightning axes around right now. That deck's not very good. The, the Phoenix deck, like, yeah. we saw a little sprinkling of it this weekend, but I, I, I think that deck is just doesn't do enough. So, yeah, definitely, I think... I think that Slumgar is definitely a card that's like found a, a niche in the you know like just like a little a little its own little corner in the metagame. Just not only is it hugely impactful, it's just gonna be hard to kill and get rid of. So I, I like the card a lot. When you and I were talking about the stuff before the show, that was a card that just stuck out. Like you said, it was like super uh, super noticeable to you. And the more you talked about, it, I was like, yeah, this card just seems super great. Yeah, no, I agree. It makes a ton of sense. Love it. Uh, and then, as far as mid-range decks go, we saw an interesting one take ninth place in the challenge. This is Abzan Delirium from Jonazo, J-O-N-A-Z-O. Um, you know, Emrakul the Promised End, banned in its standard format, hasn't really seen Pliant Pioneer. Format's been a little bit too fast to, to be setting up these Delirium cards. If the format slows down, you know, maybe there's some room for this. Didn't see a lot of it, but this list is a little different. Nor- normally, I've seen Sultai Delirium. This is Abzan uh, not a ton of enablers here, really just Grim Flayer, and then three copies of Seder Wayfinder, just both good cards on their own, which I like. Uh, I see the Corsor Crew Fixes, which play Double Duty, being two types. I think that's really important. Uh, but then you just have your, you know, good removal, good creatures, some Planeswalkers. We see our Siege Rhinos, you know, in our Absand deck. Maybe, you know, maybe the format's at a point where you can do things like this. Yeah, the mana's good enough now because you're, you know, all the, the format's like a, a turn or two slower overall. Yeah. Be real. So like you have you know a lot of coming to play tap lands and stuff. You have like hissing quagmire, you know shambling vent, and then your dual lands. You know that don't always you know you don't always be coming into play tapped. Uh, untapped. And fable passage enters tapped a, yeah. a good portion yeah. of the time. Yeah. But that's another important card. Get yeah. that land in the graveyard. You need the yeah you need the time to kind of set up and make sure your grim flayers are good that you can cast your Immacool a little bit faster. Siege Rhino again, it's a four or five. You talked about that fifth point of toughness. You know there's grasp of darkness out there and there's you know cards that deal damage. Nothing's killing this card. You know, you can get a, a fatal push and revolt and get it, but this one's hard to kill inside of combat as well. So yeah, that card's in a good spot. There's an Ishkana Graph Widow in this in this uh, in this deck. Uh, Brennan DeCandio, eat your heart out. Just uh, you know, a couple <laughs> of really good Planeswalkers. You know, the white is pretty much only there for Siege Rhino. There's an Abzan Charm main, and then there's like some really good sideboard cards. Which I think this is what the, the white is like really there for. Not just the Siege Rhino, but you get access to cards like there's Rest in Peace in the sideboard, there's Cabal in the sideboard, Night of Autumn. These Rest in Peace are... and Delirium is kind of a nombo. Yeah, it's kind of a nombo, but I mean, like, when you. Here's the thing. I, I know, you know that comes up a lot in deck building, and I'm not the hugest fan of it. You know, the decks that have like Rest in Peace and Snapcaster Mage, but in the matchups where Rest in Peace is good, the game is like over when it gets put into yeah. play so like and, and like you're you're cutting your emrakul when you bring in rest in peace yeah. okay yeah because you're not you do that every time yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and you know your other cards they'll live grim flayer is still a 2-2 that you know uh meddles with your library when it connects traverses just extra lands um play of the land so, is, is, is is playable it's a, it's a playable magic card. Uh, i can imagine you know, when, when your opponent can't do anything lay of the land is fine yeah <laughs> i can imagine the first time i've played with this deck and i'm like by you know boarding in rest in peace i'm boarding stuff out i'm the kind of person that would not think about boarding out the Emrakul the first time I do it, and then I would draw and it, draw it, and I would just be like, "You always mulligan too, right? Yeah, like you, you mulligan, you put the card back, and it's not, it's not in your hand yet. It's your first draw step of the game. And you just sit there, and you, you, look, you just look at it. Yeah, I was gonna say you just look at it for a solid like ten seconds. You're like, I'm never casting this card in a million years. Like, yeah. I think you need. Every you lose the game. You're going to game three. You just pull it immediately out of your hand. Yeah. Don't even bother like shuffling it back in and pulling it out. It's like no. You would need pretty. Not you would need almost again. every land in the deck to be in play to cast this card. 
So, yeah. But overall, I think this deck is pretty cool. I know a lot of people love this kind of strategy. Especially, like, I know a lot of people, when they found out this format was getting, you know, uh, was coming out, they were like, oh, I can play my Siege Rhinos again. And you haven't really been able to play your Siege Rhinos. It's a- when you say a lot of people love this strategy, we're talking about Delirium. Do you mean a lot of people or just one very loud person? You mean exactly Brennan DeCandio? No, I meant, I meant yes. like, the Jund Siege Rhino kind of deck. Okay. Yeah, like the you mid-range. mean those people. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, like my local store alone, people went nuts over Siege Rhino. It was, like, one of the best-selling cards because they were, like, a dollar. People were like, yeah, just give me four of those, you know, because the store had, like, literal, like, 50 of them or whatever. And it just has not been good. You know, like, it has not fit a good spot in the format. So... Maybe this is maybe this is the spot where you know it fits in. It's gonna it's gonna be a three three elk a lot of times. I'll tell you that it's gonna get its trigger and then it's gonna be a three three. But that might just be fine and good enough. So yeah, you know that trigger is pretty powerful. Um, maybe you want to get some more aggressive elements in there. I saw uh, I think in the in the league deck dump I saw an Abzan aggro deck that was playing like uh, experiment one and pelt collector in the one slot. And then uh, it was Fleece Main Lion, but not the stupid one that people always play that's bad. Death, Rechasa Death yeah, Dealer. Death Dealer. It was yeah. a way better card that they had found to put in the two slot um, to go along with Fleece Main, which... Uh, oh, they were playing... It was a weird one. They were playing Hotley's Raptor, which I thought was weird, but they had Anafenza. Raptor can sometimes help with that. And then Loxodon Smiter in the three slot, which is nice. And they just topped out at, at Siege Rhino, didn't have fives, uh, huh. and good removal. That deck seemed cool to me. That is um, kind of cool, actually, yeah. And that might be a little bit better way to utilize Siege Rhino to get more value out of that trigger. But this deck seems cool. You know, you traver- sometimes you just keep traversing for Siege Rhinos and, like, you trigger the card four times in a match. And, like, tw- that's a 24-point life swing. Yeah, they're pretty much dead at that point, exactly, kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, I'm kind of excited. Uh, you know, we didn't see as much brewing as I hoped for this week. But, I, you know, it's early. You know, these are the first deck lists that we're getting. There's enough difference going on. There's a, there's some cool stuff going on. I wanted to see something, like, brand new. Yeah, let's be honest. I asked the last show for some dope shit. <laughs> and I think the only thing that qualifies as dope shit is that Dragonlord Salamgar. Yeah, that was so pretty, pretty dope, yeah. One person wins the dope shit title. Actually, the, once you explained the pattern with Mystic Sanctuary and cycle, and the cycling cards, that also qualifies as dope shit. Yeah, because especially out of a control deck, because there's only so much you could do that's like, you know what I mean? You don't, you, you only have yeah. like this little niche of cards to do dope shit with. You don't just have like, oh, I can do all these cool things. Like, no, I need to control the game and stuff. So like when you find something innovative there, it's definitely really cool. Yeah, so we, we have two people who win, win the dope shit prize, and that's just not enough. We need more next week. Yeah, so again, we, t- we talked about this last week. Bring it. We want to see your dope shit. Impress us. Impress Ross. It doesn't take much to impress me. It takes a little bit more. He's a little more stringent than I am. Um, oh, yeah. As for the next thing, oh, we had quite a bit of Patreon questions this week, Ross. We did. That does also qualify as dope shit. Yeah, it People does. being active in our Patreon, asking us questions. This is for uh, the, the upper tier of our Patreon. So you got you to gotta pay, what, five bucks a month? Yeah, five. Right, yeah. for this tier. So if you do that, you get access to a, a, two special channels. One that's just a Patreon channel for discussions uh, that we try to be extra active in. And then the mailbag channel where you just get to type questions in. And on our show, we go over uh, as many as we can, uh, especially if they're good. And we've got, what, six here? Yeah. And we've so, got time. we got yeah, time to get through. Yeah, we can get through six. I do want to say one thing real quick. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at our Patreon tier list right now. And I've got to say this. 
Um, if you want, we can say the names on air because they didn't ask questions, but we've got some seriously good like screen names for some of these Discord accounts on here. Do you think we should we should say one or two of them or do you think we shouldn't? Oh well we should definitely we should definitely say these bottom two okay. in the in the Patreon. So, tier. so two that really stuck out to me. These are these are Patreons and uh, for these are patrons for our Patreon channel on uh, on our Discord. The first one is Tron Travolta. So yeah, this this one is also a, a frequent viewer of ver, uh, versus live. Yeah. So I've heard this one for a while, but that's a nice one. So they're just a big Ross fan, pretty much. Uh, hopefully, me by <laughs> proximity or whatever. But the next one is one of the best screen names I have seen in a long time, and this is why this is coming up on the show. I told Ross this one before the show, and he laughed for a solid thirty seconds. The name is Tequila Mockingbird. I'm also stealing this for bar trivia purposes. It is my new team name. Uh, it's that's how it works. He doesn't make the rules. Uh, yeah, I've so I've been using one that uh, a friend of mine from college. I, I was visiting them a couple years ago, and we went out to bar trivia, and they just wrote down their usual team name, and it was Wasted Talent. I like it. Great bar team trivia name, and I've been using that one for years. And I've been, I've been feeling a little burnt out on it, like I wanted to make a change. Tequila Mockingbird is it. Yeah, this... that's just a great bar trivia name. Yeah, uh, S tier. So if you're listening to the show right now, uh, TM. Good work. This is some dope shit. <laughs> it comes to yeah, this also qualifies. Anyway, the first question is from Buck Nasty. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been playing Burn and Pioneer the last couple of weeks, and I splash white so I can specifically play four Borscht Harm in the main, two Rest in Peace in the side, and three Wear and Tear in the side as well. It's played out fine. Uh, it's played out for me fine, but it, it, would it be worth it just to cut all the white and play something like a number of Hazaret or Chain Whirler in the main? Ross, you want to take this one? Now, when you say a burn deck, I have to assume you mean like a real burn deck, you know, not more than maybe 12 or so creatures, maybe 12 to 14 in that range and a whole pile of burn spells. In that kind of deck, I would much prefer Boris Charm to things like Chain Whirler and Hazret. In a deck that's more creature heavy, the Chain Whirler and Hazret make a lot more sense, but I wouldn't classify that as burn, but sometimes these na- names sort of get um, uh, mixed up. And I think the mana is workable, especially in Boros, where you get to play uh, lands that enter the battlefield untapped on the early turns, Inspiring Vantage, Battlefield Forge, uh, Sacred Foundry, things like that. Uh, 12, is 12 sources enough uh, for 4 Boros Charm? It's close. It might be a little short. So you might have to play some weaker land. Uh, you could probably fit one Clifftop Retreat, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, I think so. And have like six mountains or something, seven mountains, and get a 13th source, and that's probably good. Um, and I, I think that splash is fine. I think you know Boris Charm is really good in these burn decks. The extra da- the extra point comes up quite a bit. You know, like you're you're dealing things three at a time, and that ends at you know eighteen. So you got to make up two points here or there. Sometimes a Shockland helps you out. You know, sometimes you get four damage in with like a, a Swift Spear, and that's an extra point. Uh, but that extra point from the the Boris Charm really does help. Um, so I would favor the White Splash. Hard agree with Ross. All right, our second one was Alligator. Uh, we had a question from this person almost every week, and they're always great. Uh, what are some cards that you guys thought would be more relevant in Pioneer, but are just not performing? Or conversely, what are cards that slipped under y'all's radar and have overperformed? You want to go with first? First is definitely Collected Company. Yeah. I've talked about it multiple times now. I wrote an article about it a couple weeks ago on uh, StarCityGames.com. So that, that's just way at the top of the list. I, I you know... I've posited several reasons. I think Oko and Teferi just being really good in Bant Shells, where Coco used to be great, uh, have sort of taken away the the space where Coco used to be um, uh, in terms of non-creature spell slots in those decks. Um, 
but it really it just just hasn't been there. The, the sort of combo e decks that usually use it, things like Rally of the Ancestors, haven't been good enough. So uh, definitely a card that I called early on that. If you rewatch our first episode, that was a card that I thought was going to be a pillar of the format. Just hasn't really been. It's been on the fringe. So a huge underperformer. Uh, do you have one for that first part? Rally the Ancestors. I thought it was the card that we thought was going to be like, you know, deck defining, possibly format defining. It was very good in its day. It was by far the best standard deck of its time for a while. You know, it was like the defining deck of its format. And we just haven't seen it perform at all like well if you look over these 96 deck lists from this last weekend there are two copies of a is it the zombie Orzov zombie rally yeah. deck that deck has been so this is a little bit different flavor yeah that deck has been kind of popping up a little bit i wonder if it's the real deal or not people just haven't picked it up yet because it looks real funky on paper i saw yeah. somebody streaming with the other night watched a little bit of it, but it was just a little too late for me to kind of keep up with everything but still that's that's not enough for how, how what Maybe. we thought that card was going to be well, yeah, but maybe that deck, like, you know, when we started with Rally the Ancestors, we were playing it in similar shells to what it was in Standard. You know, maybe it just needs to find a new shell. Maybe that deck needs to be tuned up a little bit. Maybe there's a card missing that we haven't found yet. Uh, but I, I'm just saying that deck might have potential. That might, it might just be, might just take a little while for Rally. It's same with Collected Company, but there, there's hope yet. Hope springs eternal, okay. young Tannen. I don't know about all that, man. You could tell me that in the morning when I wake <laughs> up, my back and my hip hurts. <laughs> I don't know about all that crap, but anyway. Okay, A- anything that overperformed, um, you know, I wasn't really thinking of Hour of Promise being as good as it was yeah. because of just how you know awesome Field is. Um, so that one definitely slipped uh, through my mind. But that's I just don't really ever think to build ramp decks. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I'm a fan of them and I'll play them, but like it's never the first thing I gravitate towards. So I'm not surprised that that one slipped th- under my radar. Yeah, off the top of my head, as I say, I can't. Yeah, think of anything specific for like you know a car that i was like oh I, you know i didn't think this like maybe immediately i didn't know that nissa who shakes the world would be the best deck you know for nissa and in, in the mono green ramp deck but i was like that car is just powerful you know and it just makes sense if, if that deck's good kind of things so, and, and it's definitely a deck that's going to be good in decks that play land or else yeah you know? i mean that's just like yeah it just makes sense so yeah but uh, again not a car that jumps out at you we've just I'm old and like this is just this year, you know, we've said it multiple times that like the cards printed in 2019 have just been busted and we've just got to sort of reshape the way we like draw our comparisons. I'm at the point where I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to play fucking throne cards. If I'm ever doubting, like I'll just put extra throne of Eldraine cards in my deck because I know they're great. Somebody, somebody made a joke on Twitter. I forgot who it was, but they said something like if your pioneer deck doesn't contain 50% of cards from, he mentioned the last Grand Prix top eight, which was a, a standard one. He's like, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah that's probably right yeah it's just it's just where you should be going like i'm i'm gonna i'm not gonna be surprised when cat oven decks start doing well you know like they just start because like it just seems like it slides into these a lot of these strategies where like you're playing with like oko or you're playing with like abrupt decays and thought seizes like that might be a thing that you can do to grind there was a graveyard deck that was playing those with like prized amalgam and mm-hmm. alchemy and stuff but it was also playing copter so interesting uh you know like familiar is a thing that keeps coming back to clear your copters which is cool but moving on we got friendly fire 21 if your budget is limited, would you recommend buying paper cards, staples such as Shocklands, etc., or would it be worth it to buy a rental subscription on MTGO? Uh, I definitely agree that if you're going to go paper, you should be buying lands first. So my answer to this is, A, first, if, you're, if your budget is limited and you're on this Patreon tier, thank you very much for continuing to support us every month. Two, um, I would recommend playing on Magic Online. I think you'll just get a little bit more out of your investment 
than you will in real life. There's more opportunity to play. There's more tournaments to play in. You could just play a, you know, a league at any point in time. Or I would do the rental subscription MTG. I think they're great. Um, I use them myself. Ross uses them. Um, it allows us to play test a bunch of decks we normally would not get to play with otherwise. So uh, do your research before you do it. Make sure you use one of the codes from a popular streamer. If you need it, I have one. I can put it in our, our chat. If not, you know, use, good plug. Good plug. Yeah. If not, use one like Todd Anderson's or so, someone else who gets a, a lot of money off on your subscription as well. Uh, support your local streamers, everybody. It's their job. Support them. But honestly, I, I don't think you could go wrong with the rental subscription. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the subscription's better because I think it's easier to transition from that into a paper collection than transitioning the other way. Uh, in particular, because the rental subscription gives you the ability to play around with different decks uh, more frequently and you can figure out what you like, what you do well with. Uh, that's got both going to help you improve as a player more and give you an idea of what I want to invest in first, you know, beyond the staple cards. It's like, okay, this is the deck I really want to invest in for Pioneer or for Modern or for Standard, and then work slowly towards that in paper. Uh, and then, you know, while still being able to, you know, pivot a lot playing online. And then I want to stress the just so many more opportunities to play online than in paper, uh, especially depending on your location. I mean, I assume that if it's a question, you have to live somewhere where paper tournaments happen pretty frequently or you go to your local store a lot. You know, if you're living in rural Montana, you, you better be paying for a good Internet connection and getting on moto. Uh, but if you're in, you know, the Northeast United States or the Midwest uh, and you've got plenty of opportunities, then I still think starting on Moto and transitioning the other way is easier. It also gets you better at the game, I think, because you're like, you have to play within the rules and stuff a little bit more. So that was from Friendly Fire 21. Our next one is from Great Boomer. Another great screen name, by the way. Uh, the Great Boomer. Anyway, this one's a, a little bit. So let's see here. Uh, how do you feel about energy in the Pioneer format going forward? My first real standard deck was uh, red green pummeler that Huey took to the the PT. I've been playing it on MTGO and I feel and, and feel it does really well. I feel the energy cards like a two and bristling hydra are still really good in this format. So uh, I'm going to answer this one first because it's going to be really fast. And then you know Ross, if you want, you can go longer. Uh, to answer the question, I don't like the energy mechanic in Pioneer, and it's not like a oh I just, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it's good. I, I think the, the the food mechanic, if you want to do something like that, is is better and just kind of replaces it. I don't think those cards are good. Like we don't need a tomb with Aether, like fixing our mana and stuff like that. Like it just it just doesn't do enough in Pioneer. Um, that being said, if if you're going to play the Red Green Pummeler deck, this is somewhere that I can be okay with energy being in your deck. Uh, I agree. I want to stress the point you made about the mana. I think the most underrated aspect of the energy mechanic in its standard environment was how much better those decks mana were than every other deck around. You know, it competed with Maru vehicles, which I think was objectively more powerful outside of when they like they had these incredible combos, but that deck's mana was so much worse and it just stumbled so much more often that the energy decks ended up being significantly better. They got to just play better cyber cards as a result of having better mana. They could splash a fourth color sometimes for the Scarab God. Uh, and so that was super important in that standard environment. In the wider format of Pioneer, we have so many more options for dual lands and other mana fixers that it, like playing a tune is just not necessary. So I agree in fair shells, you know, we've basically seen energy get overtaken by uh, food. You know, Oko, Wicked Wolf, Gilded Goose, way better than a tuned Long Tusk Cub, Rogue Refiner. Uh, so, I, and I, I think that's established. But I, I do agree with you, this Pummeler deck seems interesting to me. 
another sort of combo-y deck people tried out in the early days. It wasn't that good, but if the format slows down a little bit, maybe there's room for you to like hold off your Pummeler until turn four and cast your Blossoming Defense on it. You've got some good pump spells. Collision Colossus is a nice one. It can take down a Krasis or a Glorybringer if you're not pumping your, your creature with it. Um, so the, the deck definitely gets better. I think Once Upon a Time was probably great in the deck, so that's a pretty big loss, uh, but not something that you you are, you know, not insurmountable. Uh, so in these specific shells where you're taking advantage of a card like Electrostatic Pummeler that is very powerful, very linear, but requires you to play a bunch of, of energy cards, they're not the worst. You know, Attune with Aether is not completely unplayable, uh, and Harness Lightning is still really good as a removal spell. I think that's actually the biggest draw to energy for me. Uh, because it's just so much better than the other two-mana removal, uh, with the possible exception of Missy and Mortars at this point. Uh, but th this is a deck I agree that, that I'm a little intrigued by, maybe something I want to work on. So if you want to go the Pummeler route, you can try it. I'm not going to say it's definitely going to be good, but I would not be playing a fair mid-range energy deck like we saw uh, you know, three or so years ago, two years ago in Standard. Absolutely. The, the days of those have been passed by. Yep, and the next one came from uh, Quinn O'Grady. Do you think Pioneer is still in the state of find the most broken card in the format, in parentheses, he mentions Oko, and run with it? Is Oko at the point where you need to have a reason not to play the card? I think we're getting there. Uh, you look at the results from this weekend, you know, they, they didn't have that information when they asked this question. This was before the deck dump from today. Uh, I think you need to have a good reason not to be playing an Oko deck. Your deck has to be good against the Oko decks. Uh, oh or just can go over the top of them or something along those lines. Like you need to be able to beat the Oko decks. I think they're the tier one deck of the format. Oko is a messed up magic card. We've seen just from the amount of times it's been banned in, in a number of formats. And I do think that it's towards the top or is the top of like the watch list and possibly the next card being banned. Uh, I do. I think it's definitely the top of the watch list, but uh, I'm not ready to say, you know, you have to play Oko. I think there's three tiers at this point, I think you have to be playing one of these three cards uh, unless you find something new. And they are Oko, Dig Through Time, and Thoughtseize. You know, so Oko covers the all the Simic decks. Uh, Thoughtseize covers all the black aggressive decks, as well as a lot of the mid-range ones. And then uh, Dig Through Time covers basically all the combo and control decks. Uh, so, you know, you, so you can play almost any strategy. But these cards are so powerful and they fit into a lot of these strategies that these are the three cards you have to be playing. So uh, I'm willing to narrow it down to there, but not all the, all the way to Oko. See, what I hear from you, like the words coming out of your mouth are you could, you just ha you could play any of these strategies. But what you're saying is I should play Sultai and just all of these cards in the same deck. I mean, if if you think if you think you can play it as well as uh, what Sokos 13. Oh, that's definitely not a, that's definitely not a thing. <laughs> We'll yeah, they did have four Thoughtseize, four Oko, one Dig Through Time in one of their lists, so the Dig ended up getting cut. All right, so, I'm going to ask the last question because this one specifically references you, so I'll let you go first, and this one's from Joshua. I've already seen Ross shake the card face down on the table, but other than that, what are some rituals you do to try to top deck the right card? Do you have a separate MTG Owen? Like, do you do, 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 you do a different one when you're playing like an online client? I, I will say, I, I have to assume that you, you've seen this happen on versus live, and if I do it on versus live, I'm doing it for show. You know, we're, 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 we're trying to entertain people. So when you, it comes down to that top deck, you want to really do the, that's sort of the magic version of the drum roll, sliding the, the sleeve face down across your play mat um, and then flipping it. 
So it's mainly for dramatic effect. It's not really like a ritual to try to draw the right card. Uh, I do very, very rarely do something like that in regular tournament play, basically only if I know the person or maybe we've had a, a really fun sort of relaxed match like that. You know, some people like to play that way and, and I'll usually uh, match them. But uh, I will, uh, uh, most of the time, I'll just draw the card normally and do whatever. Well, what if, what if Todd's really in a, a rich... What if, what if Todd Anderson's <laughs> in the room? Do, do you get him to do anything special? That said, yes. You know, after he, him top decking the burn spell on versus live 17,000 times in a row, it felt the like Todd that. knock is a real thing. You know, the Todd knock, it's a real thing. When I, uh, so the, the open I won with Phoenix in Baltimore, I knew I was playing Brad during the break. You know, you have a, you have a little bit of a break before the top eight is a, they take their own break that the coverage staff needs and they get everything set up afterwards. Um, so the players have some time. And during that time, I literally texted Todd, who was home in Roanoke. I was like, how fast can you get to Baltimore? I may need you to talk to knock my deck. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm playing bird spells against control deck. I mean, his response was just lol. Um, so yeah, have, having Todd around to knock your deck, specifically if you need a burn spell, I will say it is helpful. Uh, I was going to say, if you if you haven't seen the, the one in question, there's a specific one in question from Versus Live. There's a video clip somewhere. And I'm sure one of our, I think I think one of our uh, admins, one of our mods actually has it. I'll try to find it from him and I'll post it at some point in time on, on Twitter if I can. It's a it's a great video. It's very loud. There's a lot of yelling. It was also your your profile picture for a long time, like your reaction, because you're just yes. like you're like, oh my god, like whatever. Um, I can answer this question a tiny bit too. So like, I do a, a couple things. Um, a couple of them have actually been caught on camera before. So I'm a poker player, and anyone who's ever like watched poker coverage or whatever, seen Texas Hold'em, you know, you're dealt two cards, and you can kind of like peel them in a manner that like you see the bottom card, and then you can kind of like. You, you have like that sweat, you know, like you have like you slowly slide the top card to the side. Yeah, so you, can see you it. kind of peel it, you know, and you give yourself that like that. You're like, uh, OK, you like see the card or whatever. So um, I think there's a match with me. I think it's the match where I beat Aaron Barrett and she's playing Infect and she's going first in game three. And I mulligan to four on Tron, like on the draw and I win. But there's like a turn where like I probably need to top deck or, like a, a, a proactive thing to do or whatever. And. One of the things I'll do is I'll have a card like face down. I'll take the card off the top of my deck and put it on top of the hand. And then you do like the card shift, you know, where you like flick your <laughs> finger out. It takes the top card to the bottom so you can kind of like peel it. And I think like Cedric or Peace Holly was watching the match and they know that I'm a poker player. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get the sweat. So like, you know, you feel like you're peeling your cards in, in that. Also, there, I've been in a couple situations on camera and off, especially for friendly. Like, if it's, like, you and I playing. Because you and I have had some fun before in matches and we've played and stuff. But um, yeah. if it's, like, it's coming down to the last turn and, like, I have to draw this card or I die. Like, you know, I need to draw, like, specifically Lightning Bolt or something, right? I will just take the top card of my deck and, like, turn, like just slam it on the table. Like, just turn it over face up. If it's, like, the only the, card. The Craig Jones. Yeah, the Craig Jones. Yeah, the oh my god, it's Lightning Helix or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, uh, people don't know about that anymore. You know that that was almost fifteen years ago. I am so old. You know, I it, still remember it very, very well because I was rooting for Antoine Ruel so hard. Or was it Olivier? <laughs> it, it, uh, was Olivier. it was Olivier. Olivier. It was Olivier. Yeah, I was Olivier. Antoine brothers. was playing Owen Mine. Yeah, they was they they were brothers. I was rooting for Olivier. They, so they were both in that top eight, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, because uh, he was playing Ghost Dad. I think it was the name of the deck, and I loved that uh, deck. No, he he was playing hand in hand. That's what it was. It was the he black had, white he hand had, deck. Had, yeah. No, there, there were four different black white decks in that format. Tannen. There was black white rats. That was the bad one. Oh, God. Hand in hand that had extra hands. Ghost Dad that um 
Ghost Dad was the spirit one, right? Right. This is the one that had like With a lot of stuff. And pillories. Um and then there was uh uh Hulk Promise Hulk with yeah. Promise of Boon Ray and Nantukosk. Yeah, I was thinking he or had, Promise Husk. Was it like Plague Drusalka or whatever? Like there's all kinds they of were, weird cards. A lot of them had Plague Drusalka. Um but like there was like a few flex spots and it was like play more hand of honors and just be a straight up aggro deck play the promise and husk and bees have this like combo element and a little bit more resilience to sweepers play the talowisp engine and be able to like generate card advantage and have more removal or play these rats and have a bad deck <laughs> like shrieking grotesque and ravenous rats. anyway the, the moral of the story was i was a big fan of Four that different deck. decks I was a big fan of his version of that deck, and I really, really wanted him to win the tournament. And Craig Jones, like, you know, top deck to the Lightning Helix. And I was like, no, you know, like, whatever it is. Like, yeah. I was 20? Good Lord. Yeah, that's, it's going to be the 14th anniversary will be in February. I was 21 of, the, of that top deck. Wow, this, I, I am old. Uh, I've been playing Magic for way too long. But anyway. But uh, we do also have our own Todd Anderson. And that is Brennan DeCandio. Yeah, so that uh, was the that was the other one. Um, this is the actual correct answer to the specific question of how do you... What's your ritual to get the specific top deck that you need and not just like the yeah, showy one? Team with Brendan DeCandio. Uh, multiple times during team events, and I've never seen him be wrong because he doesn't do it very often. He does it like once every other tournament. You know, I remember once Ross needed to draw on a braid in a, in a match. and oh, Brandon... I, I know this story. Can I tell this, yeah, this one? Yeah, sure, sure. So this was the very first time we teamed together. Oh, it was the first. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. It was the very first time I was playing Blue Moon, and I had convinced the two of them to let me play it. It's the first time I had played with it. I tested with it a fair bit, thought I was well positioned. I lost round one, and we as a team lost round one. Mm-hmm. But then we uh, got into the groove. I, I did not lose that round one. Go ahead, continue. Yeah. Uh, when is a team loses a team? Yeah, 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 I've sure. already told you this. I think this was the, was this the 13-0 run that I went on or whatever? Is this that one? Yes. Okay, anyway, go ahead. We, we won out for seven rounds in a row. So we're 7-1, we're locked. But we really want to be 8-1 going into day two. And I'm playing against Ironworks as this deck is starting to get it's popular. brand new. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very new, but it's like I think this is after Hartford, so Matt Nass has already won something with it and put it on the map. Um, so I'm playing against Ironworks, and I win game one. It's a good matchup for me. But game two, they get down a uh, gear per aether grid, and they're like grinding me out. It can't really generate any pressure. Uh, and I, I end up like keep I keep playing this game from a really bad position because I think I could win and I got really close to doing so but ended up losing and took a ton of time off the clock and so now I feel rushed and I'm like feeling bad because like uh that you two both wanted me to scoop and there's like 10 minutes on the clock or so going to game three and so I make a little bit of an aggressive line and uh I get punished and my, my opponent's able to resolve ironworks but they have a very low base of resources so not able to kill me so they have to pass the turn but once the ironwork is in play it's pretty tough to come back my hand wasn't great and so I untap I'm feeling a little dejected like I'm going to lose this like key key match it's down to just us and we're going to be 7-2 instead of 8-1 and Brennan just leans over to me he's on my left and leans in and whispers in my ear you should draw a braid and I just peeled a braid killed my opponent's ironworks and won easily <laughs> And so this, I was supposed to say, we're not going to tell the stories of all the other times, but this has happened multiple times at events where Brennan's either for himself or for other people, uh, like literally called the exact card the turn it's happened. And it's never been wrong. It's only been right, but it's only happened like three or four times. It's been amazing every time. So the moral of this really long answer to this, to this uh, question, Joshua, is be friends with Brennan DeCandio and have him whisper in your ear. And if it's sweet nothings, you're also winning. So very very true that's for the night before and after the tournament in the hotel room when we order cookies <laughs> for insomnia right insomnia cookies. insomnia cookies yeah a nice tradition that that's continued on the SCG tour for way too long uh oh so for you that's a good story for people who don't know insomnia cookies is like 
it's like a delivery cookie thing that it's in a lot of the big cities that uh, the SCG grind would take basically any college town. Yeah. So we would, well, they don't have it here. So like, you know, I think of it as like a Northeast thing. It's also in Vegas Yeah. and we would always do it. I remember one of the last events, the one that where we played with uh, Harlan Fuhrer, we were in a room with like one of his friends. Well, so there's four of us in the room and we had mentioned doing it. And I think you and I went downstairs to get some drinks from the bar and we come up we were back in the room and Harlan looks at us. He goes, all right, I ordered insomnia cookies. We, 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 we spent $60 or whatever and they, they i think they already had everything because we get up there and he's like yeah i got us all milk and i just had to look at him and just start laughing and he's like well, i'm like i'm lactose intolerant man like you know whatever and it was just a, i don't know this story was way funnier in my head when I was thinking because i remember uh he threw it at me and it hit me in a very sensitive area if i remember right and i'm very mad i just remember this so harlan if you're listening to this i hope you lose the pc and i hope you stub your toe but anyway uh, I think that's going to be about it for us this week. Uh, we got a couple of little things to talk about before we go. We've mentioned on the show that we have a Twitter. It's at Cast Pioneer. Make sure you give us a follow there. We always tweet when the show goes out. We retweet a lot of dope shit like we've been talking about on the show. A lot of cool deck lists. Uh, you know, people streaming. You know, when they're streaming, cool Pioneer decks and just some other stuff too. And every now and then, you know, some memes because you know you got to sprinkle in the memes, obviously. Yeah, um, that's that's for the clout. Yeah, exactly. On that Twitter profile, I don't. Have y'all been hearing my dog in the background this entire time? I don't. I don't know if it's picking up, but she is mad that. I've, I've been hearing Benny. Yeah, she's, she, she's outside the room right now, and she really wants to play. And so she's just like, hey, yo, come hang out with me. Anyway, we're oh, almost let's done. Let's wrap up the show so you can play with your dog. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, you can. Uh, she would love that. But she would love you. But anyway, uh, on that on our Twitter, you can find a link to our Discord. And we talked about that a lot on the show. Uh, we have hundreds of people on our Discord. It's pretty active every day. We have uh, like 20 different channels in there. You can always find something to talk about. Including it, such famous names as Tron Travolta and Tequila Mockingbird. I cannot go to... They're I, there. I laugh every time. I'm like literally holding back a laugh right now. I've got a big grin on my face. Tequila Mockingbird. Absolutely love it. Keep bringing the dope shit like these sweet ass names on, on Discord as well. And as we mentioned, there's a there's a Patreon uh, section of our Discord. We've got a ton of patrons in there. They're doing a lot of good work. A lot of chats. I got to say this. Their chats are pretty damn good every day they talk about like cool decks or you know cool things that are going on and depending on which level you're in because we have a two dollar and a five dollar tier right now you get to ask us questions that we talk about on the show we also have some stuff uh in the works uh, i'm gonna be we're gonna be announcing some new stuff in the new year for our patreon or for our patrons and for our different patreon levels we're gonna have some cool swag coming uh, i don't want to give away too much just yet because a lot of it's in the works the person that works on the stuff is very very busy and very popular so we have to kind of wait for her schedule to kind of whatever. And there's a little hint for you guys and gals at home. And then we got some, maybe some, some cool stuff for, we're going to make a higher tier, maybe like a 10 or $15 tier soon. And has some really cool things for y'all. So that's in the work. So make yeah, sure. Cannon's going to make a calendar. Yeah. That's going to be the, that's going to be the hundred dollar tier. Yeah. Uh, I will not wear a shirt during, during all the stuff. <laughs> and uh, there, uh, the feet pictures will be extra though. It'll cut off on the feet at every, that's the two hundred dollars. Yeah, that's tier. the two hundred dollars tier. It's the foot picture one, and that's at uh, Patreon.com/slash/PioneerCast. Super easy to find there. Um, a lot of the money goes to help make sure the show comes comes out on time every week and, and sounds good because Ross and I do not sound anywhere near as good as Brent makes us do. So again, shout out to the editor Brent. Thanks for doing the Lord's work and doing all the hard work that we you know we just get to sit here. And, and yell at each other and say stupid shit and stuff but he has to yeah, actually he has it. to use his brain and yeah click button click button have knowledge of things <laughs> yeah those are things i don't have something you do have knowledge of is where someone can find you ask you more questions or get more stuff from you where would that be ross you can find me on twitter at at ross hunneds r-o-s-s-h-u-n-n-e-d-s 
Uh, I am quite active on the website and uh, I try to respond to people as much as possible. So get at me there with any questions uh, that you have. I also write a weekly article on StarCityGames.com. Usually it goes up Tuesdays. This week's will actually go up Wednesday, but it'll probably be up by the time this posts. Maybe this one goes up earlier. Um, had a, a little bit of delay uh, due to the lack of results hey, coming out on time. <laughs> so I'll have an article this week on Wednesday, which is my Pioneer watch list for potential bands. Uh, so if that's something that concerns you or you just like some hot takes, you can head on over and check that article out, and I appreciate it. Uh, I also co-host Versus Live twice a week with Corey Baumeister. That's on twitch.tv slash starcitygames, same place you go to to watch open coverage. Uh, you can see us Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, playing all sorts of formats, whatever we think is relevant or fun, having a good time. We take questions from the chat if you can see it live. Uh, if you can't make it to a live, you can watch it on YouTube. The Tuesday shows go up on Friday on the Star City Games YouTube channel. The Thursday shows go up the following Monday. That said, we are off this week because the office is preparing for the Players' Championship. That happens right in the Star City Game Center, so they have a lot of work getting everything set up there. Uh, so unfortunately, cannot accommodate us, but we will be back next Tuesday for a full week of Versus Live then. Yeah, and speaking of uh, extra stuff that's going on, Ross and I have been throwing around the idea of this. We're talking about doing a special extra episode of a podcast sometime, and I think we're going to try to do it around the holidays because there's not going to be a lot to talk about besides like just random, you know, finishes that have happened on magic online where we might do an extra episode of the podcast where we do, we don't talk about magic at all for the entire episode and for that we would definitely allow a lot of questions to come in i think more than just that normal uh you know that normal tier of patrons we might talk some magic stories yeah. but we won't talk any magic strategy yeah it won't be like your typical episode where we talk about like you know hey this deck's really well positioned like blah 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 you know obviously that might come up but it would be like, Ross, why do you like the jazz? If you ever wanted to know why Ross likes the jazz or what's his favorite dressing on his It's a salad. long story that involves a hot tub and a bottle of maple syrup. Ooh, uh, and, and, and very short shorts like John Stockton used to wear. I wish I could type really quick without it. You know, I was going to try to look up the... Um, the Robin Shrabotsky story, like what it's called, the the sexual move with the the maple syrup that they would do in Canada. <laughs> the, um, I can't think of it. I know you you would know this because you also watched How I Met Your Mother, but it's not worth it. Don't worry about. Keep it. Keep going. I'll come up with it. Say it again. Uh, keep 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 going. I'll keep going with the show. I'll come up with it and I'll chime in. All right, I was, I was gonna say that. That's just about it. If you wanted to hear more from me uh, personally, you can go to my personal Twitter and follow me there. It's at the Tannen grace, a lot of football and baseball takes lately going on along with, uh, along with a lot of magic, obviously, but a lot of good football going on. We talked about at the beginning of the show, real good stuff going on here in Louisiana. I'm also a gigantic baseball fan and I actually like the off season quite a bit. A lot of cool signings going on. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me freak out about a, uh, a, a signing that happened last week or, you know, earlier this week and stuff as well. I think Ross figured it out. It's the old King Clancy. That's it. Yes. I had to cheat though. I I, go, I googled it. I couldn't come up with it. I was about to say dude, old old King Clancy. How funny would it be if I just snapped that off when you were like saying that? I was like, did you get an old King Clancy in that in that hot tub? Because you would have. <laughs> I would have. I would have died. Yeah. Because you would have gotten it. You would have gotten the reference. Oh yeah. And that, honestly, that's a joke. If I would have been able to do that, that is within like it. Kind of. That's how it is on How I Met Your Mother. There's so many inside jokes that if you watch like season one, they they don't they don't give you any background. They will say it in like season seven. You know, it's like a real callback that's really great. Anyway, uh, more about How I Met Your Mother possibly on the, on the next uh, Pioneer podcast. So we'll have to see. That, uh, we could discuss that 
in detail. Oh yeah, it maybe maybe on that show that we talked about. You know, what? I'm going to go on a limb and say that's probably going to happen, just because I actually want it to happen and it sounds super fun. I definitely think we should. It'll probably happen in the next couple weeks because it'll be you know pretty easy with uh, not a lot going on in the magic community and stuff like that. So. Anyway. Yeah, it might be hard while I'm in Connecticut. Right. Well, just bring your mic with you. But I meant to tell you that. Make sure you do that. Bring your mic with you when you go to Connecticut. Uh, you, can, okay. you, you just put it in the suitcase that has the clothes. Make sure you wrap it in like a sweater or something so it doesn't get beat up. And it's, yeah, it's, I know. It's super easy. It's just, I'll do it. God, God, it's like just for the fans, not for you. It's like pulling teeth with this man. Anyway, uh, anyway, thanks for listening this week, and thanks for all our uh, patrons and stuff at home. You, guys and gals are awesome thanks for supporting us and we'll see y'all next week